Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every episode of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. I'm Paddy. In this week's episode, we come to the end of Season 15, and we join the Doctor, Leela and K9 as they pay a visit to Gallifrey in The Invasion of Time. As usual, we're discussing the Doctor, the companions and the villains, and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on the story, so as always, you can join the discussion by checking us out at Time Teamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, Paddy, if you would take us through the story recap for this final story of season 15. I will gladly do so. Thank you. Part 1. On a large star cruiser, the Doctor stands before a trio of seated figures, telling them that he is prepared, and they tell him that he must be quick. Meanwhile, a bored Leela waits in the TARDIS and asks K-9 how long the Doctor will be, but he says he cannot give an answer to that question, or any question relating to the reason that they are on the star cruiser. Leela tells him to shut up, and then tries to access the external view screen, but finds that it doesn't work. She apologises to the hurt K-9 and asks why the scanner won't work, and he says the Doctor disabled it to prevent her from using it. In the meeting room, the Doctor finishes reading a contract drawn up by the mysterious trio that will grant him complete control over the Time Lords, and he signs it. He goes back to the TARDIS, but refuses to answer any of Leela's questions, telling her to get K-9 to tell her to shut up. She goes to follow his instruction, but realises what he said. However, before she can do anything about it, K-9 aims his nose blaster at her, and says it is imperative she remains silent. In the Time Lord Citadel on Gallifrey, Guard Commander Andred reports to Castell and Kellner that an unidentified vessel is approaching. Kellner orders an Amber Alert to be set up, and Andrew goes to follow out his order. Kellner asks who the vessel belongs to, but Andrew can only confirm that it is Gallifreyan in origin, but says that all time ships are currently accounted for. Kellner orders that when it lands, anyone inside it be arrested, and Andrew goes to oversee it personally. In the TARDIS, the Doctor eats a bag of sweets as they approach Gallifrey and asks where Leela is, with K-9 informing him that she has gone for a swim. The TARDIS lands in the Panopticon just as Andrew and a squad of guards arrive. Doctor and Leela emerge and are surrounded by the guards who aim their weapons at them. The Doctor casually ignores them and tells Leela to stay behind as he makes his way down a corridor. Andrew leaves a pair of guards to watch Leela whilst taking the others to go after the Doctor. They catch him just as he is about to enter the Chancellor's office and go in before him and after he asks them to announce him. In the office, Chancellor Barusa is shocked by his appearance but before he can say anything, the Doctor invokes his right to claim the presidency of the Time Lords. On the TARDIS, K-9 asks the ship where the Doctor is but he is unable to get an answer, leading him to call his stupid machine. In Barusa's office, the Doctor angrily demands that he be immediately invested as Lord President, but Barusa says the decision will need to be ratified by the Council of Cardinals. After the Doctor reminds him that he does not need any ratification, Barusa reluctantly agrees to starting preparations for the investiture. He goes and complains to Kellner about the developments and the Doctor's behaviours. Andred comes up and says that the Doctor wants to see both of them and they return to his office. The Doctor says that he wants the President's quarters to be refurbished to suit his tastes. Bruce says that they are high-ranking members of the Time Lord Council and not lackeys, but the Doctor reminds him that his role of Chancellor has still not been approved by him, so he is nominally still a Cardinal. He then instructs Kellner to prepare the quarters and clothing for Leela. After the Castellan leaves, the Doctor tells Barusa that Kellner may not be adequately able to design the quarters to his tastes and tasks him with overseeing the refurbishment. As Barusa leaves, the Doctor specifies that he wants the decorative panels he requested to be fashioned out of lead and they are to encompass the whole room. Later in the ceremonial chamber, Barusa brings the Doctor through the investiture ceremony, saying that the final step will establish a mental link between him and the Matrix, the repository of all Time Lord knowledge. Elsewhere, Leela is going through a wardrobe of prospective clothing whilst being under guard by Andred. Leela demands that she be given access to her weapons, but Andred says that they are forbidden within the Citadel, and she storms off. She comes back, though, when it is time for the investiture, but she manages to take her knife from Andred, who reluctantly lets her keep it so long as she promises not to use it on anyone. 
In the Panopticon, the investiture ceremony is underway with the customary offering of a challenge to the investiture, but it is not met by anyone. After a lengthy ceremony, the crown of Rassilon, which contains a link to the Matrix, is placed on the Doctor's head. It suddenly starts to glow and the Doctor sinks to his knees, clutching his head in pain. Part 2 Leela runs up to the podium to help the Doctor and Barusa says that the Matrix has rejected the Doctor as President and calls for his arrest. The lead attendant says that it doesn't matter whether or not the Matrix rejected him, informing him that their laws state that since the ceremony was completed, the Doctor is the President. The Surgeon General examines the Doctor and says that he needs peace and rest and medical attention and has him brought to the Chancellor's office. Rusa orders Lila to be taken for questioning, but she pulls her knife on Andrew as he goes to escort her. A guard points his stays with the latter, and she reluctantly sheets her knife and follows Andrew as he takes her to the Chancellor's office. Unbeknownst to anyone, these events, as well as everything that has occurred since the Doctor's arrival, have been monitored by the mysterious figures on the Star Cruiser. They agree that with the Doctor in his current state, they will need to speed up the timetable of their plan. In the Chancellor's office, the Doctor comes to and asks what happened. Rusa says that Leela tried to kill him, but she says that it was the Crown that did it. The Doctor says that no aliens are allowed within the Citadel and orders Andrew to throw her out into the Wildlands. Leela refuses and knocks over several guards as she flees the office. Bruce orders her to be stopped and Andrew issues an alert throughout the Citadel. Kellner arrives and after being told what is going on, says he will take command of the search for Leela personally. As he goes, the Doctor tells him to turn off the alarm as it is ringing in his head. After everyone has gone, Bruce asks the Doctor what he is up to, saying that he has been able to see through his deceptions ever since he was a student. The doctor tells him, that so long as Leela remains free, then they are all in danger. He then says that he is tired and Barusa leaves him. After he goes, the Doctor puts back on his normal clothes, plus the seal of Rassilon, and makes his way to the front door, but notices that it is guarded. He searches the room and finds a secret door behind the tapestry. He tries to open it with a sonic screwdriver, but it doesn't work, so he tries to figure out what would open it. After going through several possibilities, he remembers an old saying of Barusa's and says it out loud, which opens the door. Leela spots the Doctor emerge from the secret doorway and watches as he hopscotches his way down the corridor. Unbeknownst to them, they are both picked up by a security camera and Andrew reports this to Kellner. Kellner then calls Barusa and pretends that the doctor is still in his office and asks to be notified once he has woken up. Kellner then orders Andrew to go and apprehend them. The doctor makes his way to the TARDIS, passing a squad of guards as he does so. Leela follows after him, telling the guards that she is with the doctor, but when she gets to the TARDIS, she finds that she has been locked out. She bangs on the TARDIS door, but to no avail, and is forced to hide when Andrew and the guards arrive. Andrew sends one of the guards to fetch a lockpick for the TARDIS. Inside the ship, a despondent canine hangs his head as the doctor covers his ears to Leela's pleas. Canine then scans the doctor and says that he has recovered from the effects of the crown. The doctor then asks how their plan is proceeding, and canine says that it only has a 39% chance of success. The doctor says that he has located a security control room beneath the Panopticon, and that could help in their plans. After some bickering back and forth about the doctor's ego, canine says their current chance of success would be 92%, and the doctor says that they will have to risk it as they need their invasion to succeed. Meanwhile, Leela has ended up in a chamber where she discovers a woman sequestered behind a force field. The woman identifies herself as Rodan and reveals that she is in charge of monitoring the space traffic around Gallifrey. She admits a war fleet through a sector of space and Leela asks why she didn't stop them. Rodan says that it w- that would counteract the Time Lord policy of non-interference. Leela asks what would happen if the fleet turned on Gallifrey, but Rodan says that the transduction barrier around the planet keeps it safe. However, at that moment, the Doctor instructs K-9 to destroy the barrier controls, but asks for a few minutes to get clear first. He exits the TARDIS and encounters Andrew and his guards. He shares a jelly baby and orders Andrew to continue the search for Leela, and again demands that she be evicted from the Citadel. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by Kellner. A short while later, the guard returns with a set of lockpicks and attempts to open the TARDIS. K-9 emerges and stunts him, and then proceeds to the barrier controls. Meanwhile, Kellner goes to meet Barusa and asks to see the Doctor immediately. 
They enter his room moments after the doctor arrives back via the secret tunnel. Kenner says that they have been able to find Leela and the doctor angrily tells him to find her and then demands that Bruce is summoned the council for a meeting immediately. At that moment, the ships of the Warfleet change direction towards Gallifrey and Rodan orders the barrier shields to be raised to maximum power. However, K-9 destroys the barrier controls and the Warfleet advances. In the Panopticon, the Doctor tells the Council that they have new masters now, as a trio of humanoid figures begin to slowly appear near them. The Doctor then laughs as the other Time Lords look on in shock. Part 3. Bruce orders a guard to kill the Doctor, but one of the figures shoots the guard with a beam of crackling energy. The Doctor says the resistance is futile, saying the Time Lords are no match for the new arrivals, whom he calls the Vardens. He says that he knew all about them before the induction ceremony, and Bruce says that all his knowledge of them is now in the Matrix. He tells the Doctor that he is disappointed in him, which the Doctor thanks him for. He then dismisses the Council, but for, before Bruce goes, he asks if the refurbishments have been done in his office. Bruce says he thinks they have, and the Doctor tells him to double-check and then meet him there in an hour. After the other Time Lords have gone, the Vardans congratulate the Doctor on the success of the plan. The Doctor then leaves, but before he goes, the Vardans ask him how long it will take him to locate the Great Key, and he says it shouldn't be too long. He then summons K-9 back to him. In the traffic control room, Leela tells Rodan that she intends to fight the invasion, saying that the Doctor must be planning something. She then realises that he must want her out of the Citadel as part of the plan, and tells the confused Rodan that she intends to follow his wishes. Rodan calls him a traitor, but Leela refuses to accept the idea. She then takes Rodan with her. At that moment, the Doctor returns to his office and meets Barusa, who confirms that the refurbishments have been completed. The Doctor says that he can now talk freely and tells Barusa that the Vardens are able to travel along any wavelength along the electromagnetic spectrum and as a result are telepathic to a degree. Barusa realises that the refurbishment request was to have a lead-lined room where they couldn't be spied on. Barusa says that his own mental abilities would have protected him, but the Doctor says that Time Lords are too single-minded and logical and would have been easy prey for the Vardens to spy on. Barusa says that that must be why he wanted Leela out of the Citadel, and the Doctor agrees, saying that her hunter's instincts would help her survive in the outer wilds until the invasion was over. Out in the corridors, Andrew encounters Leela and Rodan and pulls a gun on them as Leela pulls her knife in response. Leela tells him about the invasion and her thoughts on what the Doctor is planning. Andrew says that he would help them get out of the Citadel, but says they need to be careful as Kellner has ordered a curfew and is arresting anyone he suspects of treachery. He gets them out of the citadel and they make their own way into the outer wilds, which is our barren, windswept desert. Rodan struggles to go on, but Leela helps her on. They stop for a rest, but they are suddenly surrounded by a group of fur-clad warriors. They are brought to a larger group of warriors and Leela's knife is given to their leader, Nesbin. When he goes to take a closer look at Leela, she flips him to the ground and takes her knife back, demanding to know who they are. An oppressed Nesbin introduces various members of the group and then asks what they are doing in the wilds. They tell him that they have escaped from the Citadel, which causes two of the warriors, a female named Presta and a male named Ablif, to demand that Nesbin send them away as they think it's a trap. Nesbin thinks they need protection, but Leela says that she is capable of surviving anywhere. Nesbin acknowledges that, but says Rodan has never set a foot outside the Citadel and shows just how sheltered her life has been when he makes her realise that she will barely last a few days in the wilds. He then asks what they are running from, saying that that will determine whether or not they help them. Back in the Citadel, Kellner commands one of his men to act as the Doctor's bodyguard. He says that if anything were to happen to him, then he would be next in line to the presidency, and smirkingly says that he is not quite ready for the role. In the Doctor's office, the Doctor finishes giving instructions to Barusa, and they make their way back to the Vardens. He finds them conversing with Kellner, and orders Barusa to acknowledge the Vardens' leadership. Barusa refuses, and one of the Vardens shoots him with a beam that causes him great pain. The Doctor intervenes, saying that he can be useful, and he tells Kellner to have Barusa taken back to his office. The Vardens demand that the Doctor ensure the full subjugation of the Citadel, seeing that they will reveal their demands and their physical forms once it is done. 
Doctor tells Kellner that he is now the acting vice president and asks him to draw up a list of potential allies. Kellner says that he will also prepare a list of potential troublemakers as well. Meanwhile, K9 returns to the TARDIS and connects to the control console. Kellner returns with a list for the Doctor and he says that they will meet with the potential opponents of the invasion and convince them to either join them or be banished to the Outer Wilds. Kellner approves of the idea, as do the Vardens, who insist that Barusa be kept in the Citadel. Kellner goes to oversee the arrests, and after he goes, the Vardens order the Doctor to lower the quantum force field around the planet. The Doctor refuses, saying that they could destroy the planet, but they insist he do it. Kellner's witch hunt is well underway, and several prominent Time Lords are banished. As he escorts the Surgeon General to the Boundary Wall, Andrew reveals that he and the other members of the Custodian Guard are planning a rebellion against the invaders. Andrew tells him that he must remove him from the Citadel, but informs him to look for Leela and Rodan. In the Outer Wilds, Nesbin reveals that he and the others are Gallifreyans who have rejected the lifestyle of the Time Lords, and have instead chosen to go back to their ancestral roots. Leela, sensing that they could be used as an army, asks them to help fight off the invaders, and despite some reluctance from Nesbin, they agree. Meanwhile, the Doctor returns to the TARDIS, followed by his appointed bodyguard, but he tells him to wait outside. A few moments later, Andrew and a group of his followers arrive, with Andrew shooting the guard. Inside the TARDIS, the Doctor places the crown of Rassilon on K-9's head, and he begins to connect to the Matrix through it. Suddenly, Andrew bursts in and names his stays at the Doctor as he sentences him to death as a traitor. Part 4. The Doctor orders K-9 to stun Andrew, and he gently lowers the unconscious commander to the ground as he tells K-9 to carry on with his task. Andrew wakes up a few moments later and demands to know what is going on, but the Doctor carries on with his task. Andrew says that the ship is surrounded, but the Doctor ignores him and says that he will be back in a few minutes. However, when he goes outside, he sees Andrew's group dead, killed by a squad of Kellner's men. The Doctor tells him to, to go and find Andrew and have him arrested for treason. He then goes back into the TARDIS and informs Andrew what happened, berating him for his poor attempts at resistance. He then reveals that while they're in the TARDIS, the Vardens can't read his thoughts. He tells Andrew that he's been trying to find out where the Vardens planet is so he can trap it in a time loop. Andrew says that he can find it with the Matrix, but the Doctor says that it has been invaded and that only K-9, who doesn't have an organic brain, can locate and remove the source of the invasion. Back in his office, Kellner confines to the Vardens that the Doctor has been acting strangely, but they laugh as they tell him that they already knew, knew and were waiting to see how long it would take him to realise it. He then gets a report that all of Andrew's resistance group have been eliminated, but Andrew is still at large. The Vardens demand that he be found immediately, but Kellner says that he has most likely gone into the Outer Wilds and is as good as dead out there. Back in the TARDIS, the Doctor builds a partial telepathic barrier into Andrew's helmet, saying that he will need to keep his thoughts focused for it to function properly. K9 reveals that he has located the entry point of the invasion, but can't locate its source. The Doctor says they will have to force the Vardens to reveal their true forms and takes the crown back off him. He says they will have to continue his charade and informs Andrew and K9 that he will have to shut down the quantum force field. Andrew says that it can't be shut down as it was built by Rassilon, but the Doctor says that he can access Rassilon's knowledge through the Matrix. He then leaves K9 in charge. In the Outer Wilds, Leela and Nesbin attempt to train the Time Lords that they have encountered how to use bows and arrows in preparation for their assault on the Citadel. The Time Lords prove to be inept at the use of the weaponry, and Leela says that they must rely solely on Nesbin's group. Nesbin says that they will be outmatched by the Custodian Guard, and Leela says that they should instead pick their best warriors and go back to the Citadel to capture the Doctor. Back in the Citadel, the Doctor returns to the Vardens and they remind him that they are monitoring his every move as he goes to shut off the force field. One of them materialises beside the force field controls and observes the Doctor as he tinkers with it. Suddenly, the entire Citadel shakes as the force field is shut down and he returns to the Vardens. He says that he only opened a temporary hole in the force field right above the Citadel, but says that he can make it permanent later. The Vardens then fully materialise, revealing themselves to be human in appearance. The Doctor is then sent under guard to make the gap permanent. 
Meanwhile, K9 leads Andrew outside of the TARDIS and through the corridors of the Citadel, stunning any guards that they come across. They arrive at the Doctor's office, and K9 says that they must wait for the Doctor, and he powers down to conserve energy. A short while later, the Doctor arrives at the office, but leaves the Varden guard outside. The guard becomes immaterial again, but isn't able to get into the room due to the lead lining. He reports the Doctor's betrayal, and the leader says that the Doctor is to be killed. He tells Kellner that he is now in charge of ensuring the cooperation of the rest of the Time Lords. At that moment, Leela, Rodan and one of Nesbin's men manage to sneak into the Citadel whilst Nesbin and the others launch a diversionary attack. They make their way to the TARDIS but discover it locked. Rodan says the Doctor might be in the President's quarters and leads them there. In his office, the Doctor puts the Sash, Scepter and Crown of Rassilon on K9 and gets him to try and locate the Varden's homeworld. Outside, a Varden oversees a group of custodian guards as they attempt to break down the door. However, they are attacked from both sides by Leela and Nesbin's groups and the Varden vanishes from sight. They then begin to break down the door, but the Doctor orders Andrew to open it. Leela and the others rush inside, but the Doctor tells him to be quiet whilst K9 works. K9 reveals that he has located the coordinates for the homeworld, and the Doctor orders him to activate a signal reverser he had earlier constructed. It works, as, it works and the Vardens vanish from sight, and K9 confirms that he can detect no trace of them on the planet. He tells the others that they have won, and that he will set up a time loop to keep the Vardens away on their home planet. Leela is confused at the ease of their victory, but the Doctor winds her up by saying that she could get proficient at killing people for liberation, leading a confused Leela to ask others what proficient means. The Doctor leads everyone to the Panopticon, where they encounter a confused Kellner. The Doctor tells them to clean up the mess that had been made by the invasion, and turns to everyone, telling them that Gallifrey is now safe. However, he turns when he notices them all staring behind him, and he is shocked to see a group of Sontarans there. One of them draws his power baton and aims it at the Doctor. Part 5 Doctor asks the Santara not to hurt anyone, but she replies that they intend to enslave the populace rather than kill it. The Santaran introduces himself as Commander Store of the Santaran Special Space Service and reveals that the Vardens were their pawns. He then asks for the Doctor, but the Doctor surreptitiously signals for everyone to remain silent and he introduces himself as the President. Store says that he fits the description of the Doctor and then stuns him when he gives a flippant answer in reply. Store then sends his men to search for the Doctor. Unbeknownst to them, they are being observed by Bruce in his office, and he uses the secret tunnel to get to the doctor's office, where he tests to make sure that he is still protected from the broadcast frequencies. He then returns to his own office, where he hears the doctor asking Storr what their objective is. He activates a switch that causes a high-pitched chime to fill the panopticon. The doctor leads the others away, as the Sontarans clutch their heads in pain from the sound. The doctor realises that someone is trying to help them, and he tells everyone to split up, taking Leela, Andred and Rodan, Abliff and another of Nesbin's warriors with him. Store orders for the Doctor to be captured, but everyone else is to be killed. Kellner repeatedly tries to tell him the Doctor's identity, but Store tells him to be quiet. In the corridors, the Doctor tells everyone to take cover as he sees the Santaran patrolling the hallway. He tells Leela that they can only be killed by a blow to the probic vent at the back of their neck. She distracts the Santaran and then throws her knife into the vent, leading the Doctor to congratulate her on her skill. He then continues to lead him down the corridors, telling them that they're going to his office. He gets them inside and seals the door, but they find Barisa inside aiming a staser at them. Outside, Store orders his men to break down the door, and the doctor says it won't be long before they get in. However, Barisa reveals that he had ordered the lead lining to be reinforced with titanium, and the doctor thanks him for his foresight. He then tells Barisa that he can lower his weapon as he can vouch for the others. They then hear the banging outside stop, and the doctor and Barisa deduce that they are bringing heavy artillery to break in. The doctor suggests that they use the secret tunnel to return to the TARDIS. Before he goes, the Doctor unlocks the door of the office, and then everyone follows him through the tunnel to Bruce's office. Once there, the Doctor tells Leela to lead the others to the TARDIS, telling her that he will be along soon. She reluctantly agrees, and they depart, followed by K-9. In the Doctor's office, 
Kellner finally reveals the Doctor's identity to Store, who says that Kellner may be of use to them. In Bruce's office, the Doctor demands to know the location of the Great Key, but Bruce says that it is a myth. The Doctor says that it is one of the tasks of the President to find the key, but Bruce says that no one has ever found it. The Doctor says that people are dying while they waste time, and the Santarans will soon start landing more troops on the planet in order to control all of time. Bruce says that it is impossible, but the Doctor deduces then that he has the key. Doctor says that he will kill him rather than risk the key falling into the hands of the Santarans. Bruce gives it to him, saying that he is the first president since Rassilon to hold the key, as it has been under the protection of the Chancellery ever since. Meanwhile, Leela and the others are pursued by the Santarans as they make their way to the TARDIS, with Ablif and another warrior being killed en route. They arrive at the TARDIS and Andred uses a lockpick to open it. In Kellner's office, Stor demands that the gap in the force field be widened, but Kellner says that they need the Great Key to do it. Stor threatens to kill him, but Kellner says that he may be able to find another way around it. Stor then gets a call from his guards, asking him about their new orders relating to the Doctor, who just walked past him and told them to call Stor. Stor says that they have been tricked, and he orders them to get after the Doctor. The guards chase after the Doctor and Brusa, who are protected from fire by Bruce's personal force field. Unfortunately, he says the battery is running low, and the Doctor tells them to, they need to run for the TARDIS. They get inside and a few moments later the Santaran guards arrive and begin to fire at the TARDIS. Inside, the Doctor tells Leela to take Bruce to one of the guest rooms and gives her the great key for safekeeping. Bruce is unsure of this action, but the Doctor says that he trusts Leela. After they go, the Doctor asks Rodan to help him remotely connect his control console to the defence mainframe so he can seal up the gap in the quantum force field. Rodan says that she will try and the Doctor comforts the TARDIS as it groans through the strain of the adjustments Rodan makes. She finishes up and says that the force field is back up and they take a look at the view screen, which shows the Santaran battle fleet en route to the planet. She reassures the Doctor that so long as he is in control of the TARDIS, the Santarans won't be able to land. Meanwhile, Stor orders Kellner to widen the gap of the force field, but after trying to replicate what the Doctor did earlier, Kellner says that it won't work. He says the controls seem to have been fused and linked to the TARDIS. He tells Stor that he might be able to override the controls remotely. He manages to do so and uses his control over the TARDIS to send it towards a black star. Inside the TARDIS, the Doctor and Rodan are thrown to the ground as the ship takes off. Part 6. Leela rushes into the control room and helps the Doctor to his feet. He tells her to look after Rodan whilst he staggers to a fuse board, flipping a switch which stabilises the TARDIS. He then tells Leela to seal off the access door to the rest of the ship and asks where the others are. She says that she left him inside one of the bathrooms, admitting that she got lost en route to the guest quarters. Meanwhile, Kellner notices this and informs Storr that the Doctor has engaged the ship's failsafe system, which holds the TARDIS in a pocket of eternity, rendering it immobile until he turns off the failsafe. Storr asks if they can access the TARDIS, and Kellner says that he can get a lockpick to open it. They soon enter the TARDIS, and Storr tells Kellner to disengage the failsafe or he will kill him. He then orders his men to break down the door so they can get to the Great Key. At that moment, the Doctor leads Leela and Rodan through a labyrinthine corridors and storage rooms of the TARDIS. Leela points out that they have passed through the same sequence of rooms multiple times and the Doctor starts to get frustrated. They take a short rest in a Grecian-style alcove whilst the Doctor gets his bearings. He finally remembers the route and says they need to find K9, who is currently with Andred in a different section of the TARDIS. They find the duo, but suddenly an alarm goes off and the Doctor says that the Santarans have broken through the door. He takes the great key from Leela and gives it to Rodan before hypnotising her. He tells her to follow K9's instructions and to give him the key when he asks her for it. He then leads Andred and Leela to find Barusa. Meanwhile, Stor reveals the Doctor has set up a distortion field throughout the TARDIS that stops his equipment from scanning for biological life signs. He says they will have to go back to the control room and deactivate the barrier. However, Kellner says that he will be able to shut it off if he can find the generator powering it. 
Stor agrees and follows Kellner as he makes his way through down the corridor. The Doctor and Eros find Barusa by the swimming pool, reading an old copy of the Daily Mail announcing the sinking of the Titanic. The Doctor says they need to get him to safety so that he doesn't fall into the hands of the Santarans. Suddenly a squad of Santarans burst in and chase after them. Andred slows them down by throwing a chair at them, and the Doctor leads everyone down towards the sick bay. They hide inside as Stor and Kellner arrive and begin searching for them. Stor angrily fires a few blasts from his power baton, inadvertently catching Andred in the arm of one of them. However, Andred doesn't cry out, and Stor leads the others to continue the search. Once the coast is clear, Leela goes to help Andred, but he tells her to go whilst he stays to fight off the Santarans. She tells him that he is too hurt to do anything and brings him to the Doctor, who tells Leela to take both Andred and Barusa back to Canine and Rodan. The Doctor then makes his way back to the pool and sees the Santaran looking for him. He hides in a greenhouse area and distracts the Santaran with duck calls. The Santaran looks around him for the source of the noise and accidentally backs him to the maw of a large carnivorous plant. The Doctor then leaves, stopping to shake the still outstretched hand of the Santaran. A short while later, Stor and Kellner arrive and Stor releases the Santaran from the plant. Stor orders him to go with Kellner to destroy the generator whilst he continues his pursuit of the Doctor. Kellner leads the Santaran to the power station, which the Doctor has seemingly converted into an art gallery. However, Kellner touches a button on a replica of the Venus de Milo and all the artworks vanish from sight. He then finds the circuit for the distortion field and dismantles it. The Santaran scanner then picks up the signals of the Doctor and the others who have managed to return to K9 and Rodan. The Doctor asks them if they have finished their task and Rodan presents him with a blaster rifle as well as the Grey Key after he removes her hypnotic trance. He places the key into the firing chamber of the rifle and starts to activate. Barusa, knowing what it is, demands that he destroy the rifle and Rodan asks what is it. The Doctor says it is called a DMAT gun, a terrible weapon that could give the wielder power to rule the universe and he says he suspects that is why the key was kept hidden. Suddenly the Santaran and Kellner appear and the Santaran demands that he be given the rifle. The Doctor fires the rifle and the Santaran vanishes from sight. Leela apprehends Kellner and the Doctor tells her to kill him when he refuses to say where Stor is. Kellner quickly tells him that he is on his way up to the Panopticon. The Doctor realises that he must be heading for the Matrix and goes after him. The Doctor finds Stor as he stands over the Matrix with a grenade. The Doctor tells him that if he does that he will destroy the entire galaxy including himself and his own battle fleet. Stor says that the sacrifice will be worth it and the Doctor shoots him with the DMAT gun. The grenade goes off when Stor is hit and the resulting blast creates a feedback loop which destroys the gun and knocks the Doctor unconscious. He gets up a short while later and rejoins the others seemingly having forgotten everything that has occurred since his arrival on Gallifrey. Barusa tells him that he has saved them all and contemplates that the Anesia must be the will of Rassilon. Later, the Doctor receives an ovation at the Panopticon and he says it is time to go. However, Leela says that she wants to stay behind as she has fallen in love with Andred. The Doctor tells Andred that she will look after him and tells K9 that it is time to leave. However, K9 also says that he will be staying behind in order to look after Leela. The Doctor goes into the TARDIS and Leela tells him that she will miss him. He gives her a smile and then closes the door whispering to himself that I'll miss you too, Savage. He then takes off, and Leela asks K9 if the Doctor will be lonely, but he says he doesn't have enough dash to answer. They both hang their heads sadly. Meanwhile, on the TARDIS, the Doctor grins maniacally as he brings a box into the console room with K9 Mark II written on the side. End of the story. So, now that we have successfully fended off an invasion and unfortunately said goodbye to Leela, we're going to go to the trivia section for this week. So what have you got for us, Trish? Cool. So the air date of the story is the 4th of February to the 11th of March, 1978. The writer of the story is David Agnew. 
David Agnew is another one of those writers who isn't a real person. He's a fake. Um, <laughs> David Agnew is a pseudonym employed by Graham Williams and the incumbent script editor, Anthony Reed. If you remember, Bob Holmes is now done. Yeah. This is the first of two stories that Anthony contributes to. We don't see anything else from Graham in particular. We will see Anthony's work again in The Horns of Nimon. I'll talk about more about the story starting point in a little bit. The director of the story is Gerald Blake. This is the second and final story directed by Gerald. We previously saw his work in The Abominable Snowman, so it's been a very long time since he's been directing on the show. Mm. Um, he recalled at one point that he was chastising a typically badly behaved Tom Baker uh, by saying, I remember when you were Patrick Troughton. <laughs> <laughs> which depending on the tone is either hilariously funny or a fucking low blow um yeah it really depends because like if it's if it was said with humor and jest then it's hilariously funny as like oh how very funny if it was said with like mm. any bit of malice then it sort of implies like you can be fucking replaced you prick <laughs> you know it really depends on what the tone <laughs> yeah. of the of the comment was well, given that like this is a, a like a director from a previous era of the show, mm. and you remember as well like that Patty Russell, who had worked previously on the show, also had issues with Tom. Mm. It's like, does Tom really kill people's like desire to work on the show? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um. So this story replaced the cancelled Killers of the Dark story. So Killers of the Dark which is known as the Killer Cats of Gang Sing, by some people. It was an unproduced six-part serial that was written by David Weir, and that was meant to be the end of season 15. Mm. However, Graham Williams decided that another Gallifrey story would be needed because the Deadly Assassin had been very successful. And so he commissioned Weir to come to task. It would feature cat people, native to Gallifrey, who live in a similar in a culture similar to that of many Asian countries, so hence the gang sing, I imagine, where that was coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, it would also feature a scene set in a gladiatorial arena filled with cat people. When this was run past Anthony Reed, our now incumbent script editor, and the director, Gerald Blake, it was cancelled because they were like, it would be too hard to film. It was reportedly so ambitious that it would have been too expensive to make even on a film's budget. Oof. Yeah, I will just say now, cat people do make appearances in Doctor Who of the future. So yes, they do. I wonder if this this you know unmade story was the impetus for a lot of that. Maybe, maybe. So Robert Holmes was supposed to write this story, uh, but he declined. He didn't want to return to the series after having literally just left as script editor. He did suggest, though, that the first four episodes should focus on Gallifrey and the last two should feature the Suntarans, which kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, um, the Ark in Space and then the Suntaran experiment, just sort of, like, a four mm. and a two. Yeah. Working title of the story was The Invaders of Time, as opposed to The Invasion of Time. A um, couple of things about the initial story. So, initially, it was revealed the Time Lords were not native to Gallifrey. But they had rather been permitted to construct their citadel there in return for ensuring that the planet's populace lived in total comfort and security. These were the people that Leela met when she was banished. So that was the original plan for those people. Obviously, in the final version, 
it, it, they are native to Gallifrey and the people that Leela met were people who either chose to leave the Citadel or were banished from the Citadel. The Doctor's actions as president originally threw the Time Lords into open civil war, and part two would have ended with several rebellious Time Lords threatening to execute the Doctor, kind of in the same way that Andred does in part three. Mm-hmm. The Vardens were originally going to betray the Doctor, ordering his annihilation at close to the ep- at the close of episode three. Obviously that was switched out, and now we've got the Andred thing. Mm-hmm. This story provides probably the biggest exploration we've well, it does provide, I don't want to say proper, it does provide the biggest exploration we've ever seen of the TARDIS to date. I think the closest we came to any sort of exploration of the interior was in the Mask of Mandragora, where we mm-hmm. meet the boot cupboard and we go down two long hallways. Um, yeah. But the TARDIS interior in this case is shown to have an eclectic combination of rooms with highly variable designs, an indoor swimming pool that Leela calls the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> as well as an industrial building which contains a workshop and a number of other things. Worth pointing out that Rodan is the first female Gallifreyan to appear on screen since Susan Foreman more than a decade earlier. So I hadn't actually thought of that, that the previous stories that had Time Lords didn't have any women in them. Yeah. yeah so Rodan is the uh, sort of example of an adult in Gallifreyan culture. Adult woman in Gallifreyan culture. I have to say that I did giggle every time someone called her name because mm. to me, Rodan is what is the big giant prehistoric bird from the Godzilla franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not have that reaction. <laughs> okay, let's talk about yes. our cast though. <laughs> so as Barusa, we have John Arnott. Um, Angus McKay was unable to replace his role as Barusa. He played him in The Deadly Assassin, so John Arnott took over. Uh, this is John's only Doctor Who um, acting appearance. His non-Who credits are very extensive. Um, he's probably best known for playing the Deputy Sheriff of Nottingham in the final season of The Adventures of Robin Hood. He was also in The Only Way Back, Dick Barton at Bay, Richard of Bordeaux, The Invisible Man, Sir Francis Drake, Dr. Crippen, Emergency War 10, Zed Cars, and a plethora of others. John passed away in 1999. Next, as Kellner, we have Milton Johns. We've seen him before. So this is the final appearance for Milton. We mm-hmm. previously saw him in The Enemy of the World and also The Android Invasion. As Rodan, we have Hilary Ryan. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Hilary. Her non-Who credits include The Getty of Wisdom, Target, The Professional, and Minders. Uh, the two credited Vardens are Stan McGowan and Tom Kelly. As the only Doctor Who acting credit for Stan, his non-Who credits are... Eureka Street, Will Shakespeare, and I, Claudius. I say are rather than include because he only has four credits to his name on IMDb. For Tom Kelly, this is third and final appearance. We previously saw him in The Sunmakers and The Face of Evil, where he played a variety of guards. Tom's none who credits include Blake Seven, The Legend of King Arthur, and Sapphire and Steel. As store, we have Derek Deadman. Love his last name. Um, this is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Derek. His none who credits include... The Canterbury Tales, Harry's Back in Town, Jabberwocky, Porridge, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And we don't see his face, so you probably wouldn't recognise him. But he played Tom the Barman in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I I think I actually remember him from uh, Porridge. And I, I, I'm right, he's one of my fucking favourite just stupid lines in it. He's playing a football game and he fouls someone. So the ref runs up, he goes, right, I'm putting your name down. What's your name, Cooper? And he just goes... <laughs> 
Cooper. <laughs> uh, Derek this passed... is so fucking dumb. <laughs> Derek passed away back in 2014. Lastly, as Android, we have Christopher Tranchell. This is the third and final on-screen appearance for Christopher. We proved he saw him as Roger Culver in The Massacre and as Steve- Stephen Jenkins in The Faceless Ones. So in this story, we say farewell to Leela. So we've talked mm-hmm. about how like, in the last few stories, they were thinking up different ways for Leela to leave because Louise Jameson was sort of unsure what she was doing. So again, she was supposed to be killed off. This is a running theme with Leela. Um, she was supposed to be killed off in the story, dying defending the Doctor against the Sun Tyrants. Ultimately, the creators thought that this would traumatise children. <laughs> so they didn't go down that route. Uh, but Louise Jameson would have preferred that to the ending that she mm. actually got. To say that the romance with Android is undeveloped in the story is probably putting it mildly. Um, I know I have thoughts on it that I will get to later. Mm. Um, but because Louise was unsure whether she was going to stay until the end of recording, they didn't really have it built into the plot, anything that would cause her to leave. So they threw on the fucking love interest at the end of it. Even though this was Louise Jameson's final main Doctor Who story as Leela, it's not the end of her time in the Doctor Who universe. We'll see her again in the anniversary special Dimensions in Time, which we've mentioned in the past. She also appeared in a large number of Big Finish productions and audiobooks. Seriously, the list goes on for so long that I stopped even attempting to count them. <laughs> she also directed eight Big Finish productions and she wrote one. Oh, cool. Yeah, which I did not know. It's good to know. Um, she also appeared as Patricia Haggard in four directed video adventures of the investigating organization Probe with Caroline John as Liz Shaw. I find that really cool for no reason other than in like the Probe spin off stuff that was made later. Like there was some like web stuff that was made like after the original director movies were finished. Mm-hmm. And there was some stuff that was written after Caroline John passed away. Liz Shaw and Patricia Haggard had a relationship. Which I'm like, I'm just imagining Caroline John and Louis Jameson. Because <laughs> why not? Yeah. Yes. Um yes. outside of Doctor Who related projects, she went on to appear in the Omega Factor, Tenko, Bergerac, EastEnders, Doctors, and Emmerdale. And that is it for Louise. And that is it for our trivia for this episode. Thank you very much. You are very welcome. So we now come to the character section of the podcast where we will be discussing the Doctor, the companions, uh, which this week are, I just put on Leela and K9. Me too. Uh, the prominent characters of Barusa, Andred, and Rodan. And then we have the villains of the Vardens, Sansarans, and Kellner. Um, I put Kellner so. as a prominent character closer to villain. I didn't put him in that as an actual villain because he's more of a henchman lackey type thing. Um, but he's obviously closer to that end of the spectrum. I put him as a villain because prior to him being a lackey he is very playing his own game he's playing a game for his own grab for power mm, yeah i suppose we can yes that when we get to him well we'll just yeah, discuss him yeah. last as the sort of transition yeah. from from one section to the other. yeah exactly mm. so as is the but i get to go first this week don't new i new custom <laughs> uh, yes you do i sit back and i grab my popcorn and i listen <laughs> Oh, okay. So, 
we start off where we always do with the doctor um yes <laughs> i had thoughts i had big thoughts particularly in the first half of this story mm. first thought obviously why are you being such a dick now we yeah. do get an answer as to why right he's playing a part right mm-hmm. and he can't risk the part he's playing being uncovered i get mm-hmm. that i do however i am royally sick to shit of leela being his verbal fucking punching bag and of him making decisions based on leela's quote-unquote subpar intelligence as opposed to leaning into her strengths so we find out through the course of the first like two two and a half episodes that you know the vardens obviously the doctor had an agreement with them we'll talk more about that later on um and you know they're telepathic incredibly so probably the strongest telepathic characters we've ever met mm-hmm. up to now um which considering the fact that they're not the main enemy is mind-boggling um and so leela couldn't know what was going on mm. so he makes it so that she can't look out the window the view screen he makes it so that k9 won't tell her anything and he even you know goes so far as to be quite dickish in the way that he speaks to her to you know hide what's really happening from her and we get an explanation as to why this is however the explanation we get is that because the vardens are so powerfully telepathic that they would basically rip through leela's mind like there was no tomorrow and they'd immediately find out what's going on and i'm like we have we don't know if that's true yeah i don't think we've seen enough of leela to say leela can't lie if she has to Leela can't deceive. Leela is a hunter. The idea of masking yourself, I'm sure, is something she's familiar with. And if you explained to her, I'm sure she could really understand the idea of masking her thoughts. Also, if we're going to really lead into the whole, like, Leela is, like, something, I imagine the majority of her thoughts are, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is this? Like... (laughs) The way she's, she's like, she is the most dangerous person in the Citadel. She could destroy, she alone could bring everything down. I'm like, you condescending prick. Mm. You are lucky this woman is so incredibly fucking loyal to you that she doesn't believe you're being an asshole. And she trusts in you anyway. <laughs> because you don't fucking deserve it. Mm. And like like this is building over a number of stories where yeah he leans into this idea of her being a savage of her being sub intelligent and I'm like I really fucking don't like it so there's that the way that he was what he was actually doing like the way he was playing the Vardens is actually kind of cool this idea mm-hmm. of constant bluster and pushing things through and whatever a like you imagine like. People like Leela knew that something was up with him. She just didn't know what it was. You imagine like he's clearly trying to like tip the nod to Barossa that something's up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's behaving in a way that isn't normal, but only to an extent that people who knew him well would realize it, or like people mm-hmm. who knew him of old, like Perusa did, would maybe cotton on to something. And the way he was doing it, and the way like he was saying that, you know, he's asking random questions, he's focusing on random things. That's really intelligent. But what mm-hmm. the fuck was his plan? Like, was the plan to bring the Vardens to Gallifrey, disable all the shields, get them to finally appear in physical form in order to track their origin planet, and then do what exactly? Because at the end of the fucking story, uh, the Vardens are never fucking mentioned again. So the plan was that once he identified where they came from, he would do what happened to the Fendal planet and it's trapped the entire thing in a time loop. Okay, because... Does he act? Did I miss? Did they actually fucking do that though? Off camera, because he, he uh, presumably he said that you know, no, what he said was that after they got sent back uh, by K nine, he said I'll set up a time loop later. But then the ship yeah. of the Santaran happens, so presumably yeah. w- once the Santarans are dealt with, he sets up that time loop. Yeah, but we don't actually see him do that. So for all we know, he fucking forgot. <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> like, quite, you know? um, quite possibly. So that's the Varden storyline. And then we have the Santaran storyline. Which, mm. I guess, I suppose, you need the key to build a weapon that's basically a disintegrator gun. Mm-hmm. But like it's the most dangerous disintegrator gun like ever. Like the I, the sheer knowledge of it has to be hidden from Rodan, because like if she even knew what it was, and I'm like, okay, like does it erase people from time? What the fuck does it do other than wipe your memory? Like, are you going to explain to us what the gun does? <laughs> and it's not necessarily the doctor's fault. It's kind of the writing, but I'm there going. Why is he trying to build a gun? Like that's his thing. Like as literally as soon as they invade, his immediate thing is I need to get the key because they need to build the thing. Like, why do you want to build the thing? Since when do you want to fucking build a gun? What the hell? I, I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> like, what was the plan? <laughs> um. So yeah, I've gotten a bit of a, of, a, of a random. T- I basically just summarized the entire thing, which Paddy has already done for us. But like, I literally was sat there being like, "What the fuck is your plan?" Like, what the shit are you doing? Do you know? Um, and by the end of it, like, we have Leela's departure, which I think is probably one of the shortest ones we've had um, in recent years, other than Liz Shaw, who didn't get one. Um, mm-hmm. Where, like, he, he just accepts the fact that she fell in love with this total guy, random guy that she met today. Um, and mm-hmm. closes the door. I'll miss you, Savage. He 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 he. I made another canine. Why did he make another one? Did he not like the one they already had? I don't know. Why make another one? <laughs> and have it already made up in a box with canine mark two written on it. What the fuck was that for? Did canine mark one know? Did he know he was being replaced? I That's don't think so. Rude, like doubtful. <laughs> so yeah. Well, so, just to kind of, I suppose, for, further explain to the just further explain to sorry, just to further explain to the listeners. The the maniacal grin is the doctor staring at the camera, and then grinning. Yeah, it's it's not like he's grinning as he brings the box in. It's like he looks at the camera. Like it's 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 a it's a it's a gif now, of him yeah. looking at the camera very somberly, and then just that big 
tooty grin comes out, you know? Yeah, and like it's one of these things where it's like I love Tom. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And like his performance here was great. But I'm like, Doctor, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um yeah, that that was that was my thoughts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if those are easily right, coherent cool. thoughts. It's just like I just recap the whole thing with a sort of what the fuck filter on. Um so yeah, how about you? <laughs> Uh, well, I think it's what as coherent as the story was. Um, so you you tell Andred that they can't, the Vardens can't read your mind in the TARDIS, and they can't access the TARDIS. How about you just tell Leela what's going on and lock her in the TARDIS, you fucking jackass? Yeah, <laughs> it's like or this tell is like, her what's going on, test her mind to see if she can hide it, and if she can't hypnotize her and erase her fucking memory all right or no but it just don't even like just leave her in the tardis just like leave her like with canine or something like you just fucking idiot like like because you're we this is story 97 yeah and we've seen that you're a like for the preceding 96 stories you're a supremely intelligent person surely you come up with a better idea than just fuck her outside but also, he insists that she comes to the coronation. Why? Yeah. I don't know. I really What don't. was the point of that? Like, did he, was he banking on the crown, hurting him, and then just using that as an excuse and just kind of rehashing, like, the deadly assassin plot line? Why I did the crown hurt him? I, because it was invaded somehow. That, that was never explained. Um... <laughs> Yeah, we're, oh Christ! Like, also, like he's a prick for leaving her that way because mm. she said, "I miss you." He did the dopey smile, so she doesn't know that he, she doesn't know how much he'll miss her. Mm. And then herself and K nine are kind of left forlornly, not knowing if he'll be okay. Meanwhile, he goes off into the he drives off into the sunset with a big fucking happy head in him. Uh, so I think he's a prick in that regards. Realistically, the only the only time I like the Doctor in this story mm. are his interactions with Barusa. I think yeah, himself and himself and John Arnett are they have really good chemistry together in those scenes. Mm. Really, really good. I think that's the highlight of the Doctor. Well, in terms of like a car, like in terms of like the character, like kind of doing stuff. Though that's the highlight. The little idiosyncrasies, like the hopscotching down the hallway and like offering a jelly baby and talking to Andred, those kind of things, you know, that's, they're the nice little character moments. But in terms of like the kind of the plot side of things, yeah, I only like his parts with Bruce here. Yeah, one thing I just remembered there as well is that he refers to K9 as his second best friend. I don't think he's referring to Leela as yeah. his first best friend, though. He's never called Leela his best friend. I'm like, so your best friend no. is Sarah Jane and your second best friend is K9. Is that. <laughs> That's what I gathered from that. Same here. Oh. Um, so, so will we do K9 first? Yeah, because uh, we usually do the leaving the companion, companion that's leaving. Last, yeah. uh, so thoughts on K9? K9 is the king of sass and I love him. He is such a sassy little metal box. <laughs> um, the fact that he has a superiority complex mm. over a time and space machine is really saying something. Do you know, the fact that he's like, what's going on? Beep, beep. No, but seriously, what's going on? Beep, beep. You fucking idiot tired to tell me what's going on. <laughs> this is fucking brilliant. Um, what I love about it is like, this is really a story that 
K9 really is the linchpin to this whole thing. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think that gets enough credit in the show. I know, like, the doctor says, like, well done, K9 and stuff, whatever, and he obviously made a, a second one. Um, But I don't think it actually gets enough credit. Like, the doctor never explains what K9 was doing. Mm-hmm. Ever. <laughs> like, we get that he had the Matrix information. He was connecting to the TARDIS. He was disabling things and routing things and whatever. And he guided Rodan on building the weapon. But, like, what exactly, like... Was that always was was building that weapon always the plan, or like what the fuck was like what was he meant to be doing? Because he deserves credit for it, whatever the fuck it was. <laughs> um, also, I do wonder like he has worn the I don't know what you call it, the crown. We'll just say crown, right? Blackfoot word. Mm-hmm. Um, the coronet, I think, is more of a word. Yeah. Of Rasslan, right? Which means that he downloaded the Matrix into himself. Mm-hmm. And he's connected with the TARDIS to get the information from the TARDIS. I'm curious what his life on Gallifrey is going to be like now. Rolling around with all this information, knocking around in his databanks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I sort of have this image of, like, K9 in, like, this um, almost, like, Roman-esque room. Just sort of up on a plinth. And people coming to him and asking his advice based off of his knowledge of the Matrix. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Are you positioning? Are you positioning K nine to be the Oracle of Gallifrey? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I don't know why I, I just got this image in my it. head of it. I dig it. Um, I do love, though, at the end, how he chooses to stay with Leela. Like, there is no fucking mm. question. And, like, it sort of goes back mm. to what we were talking about last week. He's not the doctor's dog. No. <laughs> he's he, Leela's he really dog. He's and Leela's Leela's dog. Like, he's like, well, she's staying here. You could fuck off if you want, buddy. But, like, <laughs> I'm staying with her. <laughs> Which I love uh, because yeah. she actually loves him. And she does. She gives, every time she sees him, she gives him a little kiss. Yeah, it, it's it's so adorable. So yeah, K nine like I, I sort we sort of like I'm going to be this. This is probably me being like overly like invested in the Tin Dog. Um, but I wonder if K nine Mark Two is going to be any different. Um, from memory, all K nine units are essentially the same hmm. thing. They're just, they're just downloaded into a new body. Like, there's no difference in personality as such. Okay. I don't know if I... I both like that because I want to see K9, the King of Sass, continuing. Mm. Well, like, you, like you've like you seen, like... Technically, like, you know, you've seen K9 Mark Three and Mark Four. you know? Yeah, I suppose I have. So, yeah, like, and they're just as sassy as Mark One. Yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of like the idea of them being, like, unique, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, how about you? What do you think of the the good boy this week? Uh, like, I just, I think this is like one of those times, like where it's, I won't say it's a shame, but it's like, can you imagine, like, if K nine was gendered female, mm. uh, like you could actually just go like literally, you sassy bitch, because <laughs> like the uh, the bitchiness out of him is fucking hilarious. Like you know, you're you're, you're what does he say? You're quite a silly machine, or like you're a stupid <laughs> machine to this artist. But seriously, Gallifrey, behold your new king. Like when the when the doctor put all the, the adornments on him, I was like, I'd bow down and like, you know, like I, I for one welcome our new robot dog overlord. Um 
he's the hero of the story. He's in fact he is the main hero of the story. Mm. Because as you yeah, as you as you pointed out, like he's the one that really does a lot of the hard the heavy lifting here. Mm. You know? Um because like I suppose uh, we didn't really get a whole lot of uh explanation in relation to him in The Invisible Enemy. But we don't exactly know like what his like power regulation is like because like, as you said yeah he's connected to the TARDIS at one point and he's connected to the, the Matrix at another point and we've seen like that being connected to the Matrix can kill someone mm. you know uh, due to stress and strain so like a small little robot dog like K9 like it would nearly kind of overload him but he takes like a champ um, I love as well like it's just like he's there's an inherent like, inherent hilarity to K9's thing when he rolls on a corridor and just shoots someone it's the casualness of the whole thing it's like you know, like when the when the guard is trying to lock pick the door uh the hardest and it just opens and he comes out and he just rolls out and he just shoots the guy and then he just trundles off it's it is just fucking hilarious i think my funniest one though was when they were running away from the santarans and mm. he was going backwards mm. so he clearly has optical receivers in his arse right so yeah. He was going backwards. But all of the humans were were like where his face was pointed at. Yeah. So if he's going to trundle backwards to presumably cover their retreat, don't have him be second in line where he can't fucking shoot anything. Yeah. <laughs> because look at going like, why the fuck is he reversing? What the hell? I don't think we've ever uh, seen him reversing before. No. Um, there's actually one thing as well like, that I just thought was kind of very uncanine like mm. so obviously he would have seen that the Stazer and his own nose blasts weren't really having an effect on the Santarans mm. like so I feel like K9 would have adjusted his strategy and like like shot the roof or the walls or something to create like debris or a barricade or something like that you know yeah I think that was I think a that's a limit the, of the machine the budget, right? Yeah, he can't look up. Hmm. Like his neck only goes to a certain angle because his head is too fucking big. So <laughs> if he wants to shoot the shoot the ceiling, he has to shoot the ceiling that's like a half a kilometer down the fucking road in order to get hmm. the angle right. And we've never seen him turn his head from side to side. He only ever points yeah. in one direction. <laughs> so I, I I think I think you know when it comes to filming him though that adds additional restrictions but i agree with you mm. like we could have a scene yeah. of him shooting and then jump across to debris yeah. or something um yeah no i would agree with you on that particularly because do we know by now that the sun we do know that the Santarans have like different gravity where they're from we knew a lot already yeah don't we? um yeah like, you ever imagine that he would um, lean into that i, I think bit? i even think i think john said it yeah, I think uh, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, yeah, no, I I just feel like it'd be one of those things of where like you know, uh, current tactic insufficient adjusting strategy. <laughs> uh, I just, I just feel like that's the type of thing that K nine would would do. Yeah, but still, best but he's boy. still the best boy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, let us talk about our departing companion. Okay, I have thoughts, as you knew I would. <laughs> right. So I have an yes, important I, question for you. I, I, th- 
All right. Before yes. we get into my thoughts, you messaged mm-hmm. me the other day and asked yeah. me if I wanted you to tell me about certain things that would upset me, either make me angry or yeah. sad. And I said, no, yeah. we'll keep it to clowns and clown related things. Yeah. Um, what exactly were you considering telling me? I, I was just basically going to give you, like I say, a heads up, like, you're not going to like this departure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I wasn't going to give you the specifics. I just wanted you to be, like, in the scenario where, like, you wouldn't, like, gently close over your notebook and then just fucking flip the table <laughs> or something. Or, or something. Okay, cool. So let's talk about the majority of the story first. And then, mm-hmm. mm, I have to, mm, we'll talk about this then. Okay. Again, and you, you may have picked up on this already, um, I am pissed at how she's treated and how her instinct-driven mentality is shat upon until it's needed. Mm-hmm. She could destroy the entire plan merely by being in the fucking building. There's other ways you could say that, Doctor. You could say, Leela has such mm-hmm. faith in me, she would never believe that I would turn against the people of Gallifrey and so we, I couldn't have her in the Citadel because even if she doesn't know anything for sure, her belief in that means the plan won't work. Mm. That's all. Like, that's all he has to say. Instead, he just doubles down on, well, she's a fucking savage. I'm like, dude, like there were, if you wanted to double down on the, he's telling her nothing and he's banishing her from the Citadel. If that's, if that's the route you're going to go, one fucking line around they can read anyone's mind she has too much faith in me it would my performance wouldn't be believable there you go that's it Mm. it's not even that you don't think she can lie it's that you think she has too much faith in you which she does she has like that's her whole Mm. thing um Or, or or even just say like her mental defenses aren't adequate enough to withstand them or something yeah like you know also, if he could make a hat for fucking Android, couldn't he make mm. a hat for Leela? Like, and that was what materials in the TARDIS. I'm like, okay, whatever. So that has pissed me off time and again. It still pissed me off. It's one of those things where I think it was last week. Was it last week? I asked the question, what does she need to do to prove herself to him or to prove herself to you know, the universe in general? Because she has gone above and beyond time and again. Again, in this story, she goes off and does her own thing when she's left alone. She never loses faith in the Doctor, even when he's a complete asshole. And she does all she can mm. to defeat the enemy. Like, Leela, like, she has such an amazing ability to rally people and to lead people. And yeah, her go-to thing is I'm going to fucking kill mm. them, right? But mm. still, she has this amazing leadership quality that doesn't get the praise it fucking deserves. Stephen got a whole fucking planet, for fuck's sake. Like, <laughs> really? We're going to praise oh, his fucking leadership God. skills, but not hers? Like, but I, she is so I th- amazing. I think that's a really... And she just gets shot on? <laughs> but I think that's an interesting character trait for Leela, because do you remember... Leela didn't want to stay on her own planet and be like the leader of the seven team because mm. she didn't think it was for her. And sometimes it's it's actually a, a real life thing where people that don't think they belong in a position of leadership can sometimes be great leaders. Yeah. 
yeah and like maybe she wasn't ready for it you know she still wanted mm. adventure and whatever but like mm-hmm. i'll get on to her leaving now but like i almost feel f- sad that she chose to remain on gallifrey because she could be a great leader in her own right she is a great yeah. leader in her own right and i would have much rather seen a story mm-hmm. where she gets an ending like stevens do you, that's the ending she deserved do you know to find a people maybe ju- similar <laughs> to the seventeen? do you know mm-hmm. who need a leader and who look to her and she says look i can't leave them i i have to stay like that's the ending she deserved do you know mm-hmm. not some fucking like okay we have seen this exit before mm. it bothered me with joe it bothered me with vicky it bothered me to an extent with susan though for different reasons but at least each of those three had some sort of connection with the character that they quote-unquote fell in love with mm. right joe's is probably the one that pissed me off the most because he was an asshole but they're Mm -hmm. together for the entirety of the story and they have some sort of chemistry it's sometimes combustive but it's there vicky we sort of see the establishment of her with what's his face um troilus troilus you know because the story is partially missing it's hard to invest in that but like we, we see it there they have several conversations together that are flirty and romantic and whatever and the same with susan and david they have several conversations together you know the doctor sees what's there and stuff like that here like leela had more chemistry with rodan like if you call holding Mm. andred's hand flirting she held rodan's hand more everywhere she went she was fucking holding rodan's hand and i'm there going like Because I knew that Leela stayed on Gallifrey. I knew that already. I knew it from fan fiction and whatever. Right? I knew that. Genuinely, up until that final scene, I thought she was going to stay for one of two reasons. One, she was Mm -hmm. elected leader of the people living outside the Citadel. Or Mm -hmm. two, Rodan gets a promotion and asks Leela to stay on as her personal bodyguard. Those were the two things I was expecting to happen. And instead, that would have been so much better. <laughs> and instead, we get I've fallen in love with this kind of dorky, but you know, also strong-willed weakling of a man that I could probably break in half if I tried. And I'm like, really, really, like she has as much chemistry with Andred as she has had with like barusa or any of them like what the hell (laughs) like there was two great reasons for her to stay behind and they went with the i fall in love with the guy i've just met um you you uh triggered something in my head there about the bodyguard thing Mm. so there's an there's an audio series with big finish called the gallifrey series Mm. that stars uh romana too and it has uh, Leela is in it with her mm. as her bodyguard. So I knew that you triggered that that type of thing. Yeah, in the, yeah. So I was like, but that would have been so much better if with the Rodan thing. Yeah, because so they had a better. really good dynamic. They worked really well together. Mm. Like, Andrid just kept stealing her knife. Like, 
we don't see any scenes where she's like, you know, telling anyone how great of a warrior Andred is or whatever. Do you know, like, Leela doesn't strike me as someone to fall in love with the drop of a hat. Unless it's with someone who challenges her and is a good warrior and, like, she's looking at the whole, like, you know, more traditional Sevateam society, you know, of strong warriors, you know, form good bonds and whatever. And she's like, I think that there's a good bond here. And this is the way my people would form relationships is that you, you know, with the people who fight in battle with you or whatever. We get none of that. We just get her slightly reaching behind her and holding his hand and smiling. And I'm like, Louise, you look like you're dying. Like, there's a reason Elizabeth Sladen didn't want to be married off. <laughs> and I feel mm. so bad for Louise that that's the eggs that she got. Um, yeah. yeah. Those are my thoughts. I'm sure they match up with what you thought they would be. Yes. <laughs> How I was do? expecting a lot more, like, you know, I was expecting a lot more swearing, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, I'm trying to be really calm about my thoughts, this because I was royally fucking pissed off last night, beyond belief, mm. of Leela and her fucking Pocahontas mm. dress staying behind with your man, but calm. Yeah, yeah. I, I got I, I got a text last night from Trish after she finished, and it just went one single word. I just went, hmm. And I was like, yeah, I know that. <laughs> and um, then I went to bed. Yes. <laughs> Smart girl. Um, no, I 100% agree. Leela deserved a much better send-off. Deserved so much. And like... Whatever else about the way other people treated her, she was a real, she was a badass in this story. Mm-hmm. Like, she, like, she really makes lemonade out of the lemons that get fucking thrown at her. Like, the doctor orders her to be thrown out of the citadel. She evades capture. Excuse me. She evades capture by the guards that know the place at the fucking back of their hand. Um, and then willingly sneaks out of the fucking place. And meets like the the wayward tribe or whatever, mm. proves herself to them, rallies them into an army to help defend the people that they don't fucking opt- like. <laughs> they don't like, like they opted to actually kind of no, we don't want to have this lifestyle. Um and then help them kind of like take in those self self same people. Yeah. I then like yeah, leads a, a successful raid on the citadel. Amazingly, fucking kills a Santaran. Like we talked about, Hal the Archer, you know, and his bow shot, which I think we we've kind of said was like, was it luck more than skill? This is skill. She threw a fucking knife into the probic vent. That is awesome. Um, like she she rescues the doctor here a lot, and it's like. As you say, what more, what more needs to be done? I don't think she needs to prove anything to the to the fandom, like really. And that's the it's the one consistent thing, uh, uh, with the exception of Dave and Bob. Every person that's written for her has presented her as a very strong character, mm. but they can, but like it's sometimes it's the relationships with the Doctor that they fudge up whereas bob and dave just completely fuck her fuck her up as a character they can't write her at all but here at least 
with a bad ending, she's a strong character. Yeah. I would agree. I will also say there was some fun with her. Um, I loved her mm-hmm. in the TARDIS interior. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she's like, you've no fucking clue where you're going. I, I, this place is too big. This is fucking ridiculous. And he's like, oh, I know, like the back of my hand. And she's like, she flips like, that's the fucking front of your hand. You yeah. Shit. <laughs> you can tell that she's just like, what the hell? See, I'll find my own way. It's there, fine. There, I'll, 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 go, I'll go my own way. I'll, I'll find it eventually. <laughs> there was one funny moment there, like I suppose at her expense. Uh, but Louise played it amazingly. Was like he said, like you'd be quite proficient at it. And she goes, "What does proficient mean?" And, like she's asking everyone around her as they walk past, "What does proficient mean?" And it's like it's it is a mean moment, but Louise plays it really, really well. I think. Yeah. No, I I mean, this is the one thing that we've sort of said throughout this. And I think, you know, we said the same of, you know, Katie Manning and stuff, you know, like, you know, you mentioned that like Leela as a character has lemons lobbed at her fucking constantly. Mm. But Louise has been phenomenal. Absolutely Mm. phenomenal. Like, even the most shite storylines she's given. Mm-hmm. Or the most shocking story she like Tanzabang Chan, like from my perspective, do you know? And mm-hmm. you know, there's several other stories. Even with the Bob and Dave stuff, Leela gives it fucking welly, like do you know? She and really does. She does. You never get any sense that she's phoning it in, you never get any sense that she's not fully embodying the character in this like this situation is ridiculous, but what would Leela do regardless? Do you know what I mean? It's she did such an amazing thing with the character and like we have to consider as well like in talking about louise's performance you know we talked about it a lot when we talked about last season tom didn't want her Mm -hmm. do you know and there's something to be said about you know and you know a lot of doctors go through this a lot of companions go through this when you're replacing such a popular companion like sarah jane was incredibly popular like a lot of people love her now me being one of them but like she was very popular mm-hmm. at the time. And so not only mm-hmm. are you replacing a beloved character, but you have to put up with the fact that not only does the person you're acting opposite miss the person who played that beloved character, mm-hmm. they don't want you. Yeah. Do you know? And like they like, the stories that we've shared and the stories that I know you've read in, in that book I got you about how Tom treated her. And like I've heard lots of stories about how Tom treated her. And it's like she still managed to give an amazing performance like i knew nothing about leela going to this i said i watched the invisible enemy what 12 years ago 11 years ago or something um yeah and to be honest i was watching it for the dog (laughs) i remembered nothing Mm -hmm. about leela and like when we think about the companions that we've had so far leela is right up there with barbara she's right up there with liz shaw she's right up there with sarah jane like She's in, for me anyway, I don't know what it's like for you, but she's in that top five with Ian mm. <laughs> in there as well. Um, but like, you know, Jamie would also have been up high. Like, I, I rank her higher than Jamie personally. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say, I think like a, a question that I was probably going to save for either today or for the, um, the rambling, mm. you answered last week, which was that i was going to say like well what are your thoughts on leela 
and you answered it kind of by saying that you wish you had seen these stories earlier yeah because you regret not meeting louise jameson when you had the chance i think that's the most glowing review of the character you can actually make yeah i was actually that, going through you, you like you go on sorry no i was going to say like, it's the most glowing review of the character that you can make is that i wish i had fucking known this before when i had a chance to meet you yeah like, i was going through photographs i'm in a middle of a project at the moment where i'm printing off pictures that i haven't printed off like i haven't printed off pictures since college and i've gone mm. back and started printing off pictures and so i was printing off pictures from 2009 which is when i really started doing the convention thing right so in 2009 i had three conventions that i went to right i had time quest bad wolf and stargate chicago time quest was the first doctor who convention mm. i ever went to it's the first convention i ever went to uh, it was a dedicated doctor who convention i went to my friend vicky and the the coolest thing there was i was meeting tom baker uh nicholas courtney and john leeson mm. louise jameson was also there and what I'm kicking myself over, I can remember it. I had what's called a silver pass. I think my pass actually included an autograph and photo op with her, and I didn't do them. And I don't remember why. I think it was just because I hadn't watched any of her stuff, and I was like, yeah, hmm. whatever. Um, and it's annoying because the company that ran that, um, so we had a silver pass. With the gold pass, you got a group photo with all of the people that were there. So, not only did I not individually meet her, but I didn't get the group picture either. <laughs> so, the only evidence I have that I was in the same room as Louise Jameson is a really blurry, dodgy photo from like the back of the. It was in like a school, like the back of the school hall with Louise up on stage. <laughs> it's mm. the only proof I have <laughs> that we were actually in the same building. <laughs> and what's ironic is that the next event I went to, which was Bad Wolf, which is where I met Elizabeth Sladen, mm-hmm. I met Janet Fielding. Yeah. Who I also hadn't watched any of her. Well, I'd seen The Five Doctors at that point, but that, that was all I'd seen of her. And she's in it for like, what, 10 minutes? Got her autograph, had my picture taken with her, hadn't seen any of her stuff either. <laughs> And I'm like, and you know, since then, like, I've met Sophie Aldridge. I met Sophie Aldridge before I ever watched any of Ace's stuff. I met like Colin mm. Baker. I've met twice, three times, twice or three times. Haven't seen any of his stuff yet. Uh, but Louise is the one that sort of hangs in the back of my brain. Um, like, because mm. Annika Wilkes is another one that was at uh, Bad Wolf that I didn't meet mm. either. And that's sort of a, a regret, but this one actually is a kick in the pants. That like at nineteen years old or whatever, or twenty one years old, I didn't think to to do it. Um, but yeah, random history of churches convention experiences. The more you know. Yeah. <laughs> so we move on. We move on to the part on the character section. Yeah, we probably should have added all that to our rambling yeah. the next day, but so fucking great. Whatever. Yeah. 601 so we have the agreed upon prominent characters of Barusa, Andrew and Rodan and then we have Kellner in the on the line Yeah. Uh, so how do you want to do the three that we've agreed upon first of all let's do 
Barusa, Rodan, and Andred. Because Andred is okay. part of the Leela staying behind story, so we leave him maybe till till last. Okay, so we do Br- okay, so Barusa we do Barusa first. So Barusa is an interesting character because I'm never sure if I like him or not. Because like mm-hmm. he deserves a lot of kudos for standing up to the Doctor at the beginning, because he's like he obviously knows his duty, right? But he's like you're mm-hmm. being a jackass. <laughs> like. I'll do what I have to do, but I'm not going to fucking like it. I'm going to make sure everyone knows I don't fucking like it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, he's clearly, like, not in favor of the doctor that he meets being the president. He's like, no, there's something seriously fucking wrong here. This mm. is not the way this is meant to go. But he still does his duty, do you know? And obviously, when he finally finds out what's happening in the lead room, he sort of gives the doctor credit for, do you know what, you made the right choice. Do you know? I probably wouldn't have been able to hold it together as well as you do. I probably would have let something slip. I'm too logical, which again, if the logical mind was the problem, Leela, whatever. Um, and whatever. So then he knows the doctor's the good guy. And yet later on, in the second half of the story, <laughs> after Bruce has spelled what, spent what, an entire episode just locked in his office, um, mm-hmm. he knows the doctor's the good guy yet still holds the staser on him to the point where the doctor's like, so you're going to kill me or you're going to help me? And I was like, but you know he's the good guy. <laughs> so why are you still being weird? And, you know, you could say that's because, like, now that people are on Gallifrey, he's like, you're going to go after the key. I can't let you have the key, even though the key mm. is a sign of presidency. If you don't want them to have the key, just don't include it in the fucking oath that they're going to seek the key. That's the point. But, like, he uses the magic MacGuffin key as the key to his desk drawer. <laughs> Dude, that's like having your password as password. <laughs> like, what? Like, first of all, the MacGuffin key is an actual normal-sized fucking key. Mm. Nothing elaborate. It is literally just a fucking key. Yeah. It could have been any key from that wall. And this isn't, like, a Raiders of the La- or a Last Crusade type thing where there's a logical reason why it's a simple cup and not a gold thing. No, no, no. It's just a key. And it's not just a key, like, it's the key to time or whatever the fuck it is. No, no, no. It's a key to a drawer. It actually opens a That's fucking drawer. That's the key of carpenter. It actually opens a fucking... So, like, was it always the key to that drawer? Or did he make a drawer specifically so the key would fit in it? Mm. I have way too many questions about this key. <laughs> Actually, it w- it would still be so much like that's the key of a carpenter, that's the key of a locksmith. Yeah, it's it, it's just weird. And then it turns out this whole time this fucker is walking around with a personal shield on. Because mm. I thought the key was going to be in that little thing that he wears. Do you know, hidden in plain mm-hmm. sight all the time? No, the key is the key to the drawer that he just leaves in the drawer. Like he leaves the key in the drawer when he's not in the room, dude. What the hell? <laughs> but then he goes around with a personal shield on all the time. I'm like, what the hell? My favourite scene of his, though, has to be when they eventually find him in the bathroom. And he's mm-hmm. just lounging on a stunt lounger reading the newspaper. <laughs> and it's exceptionally more funny because it's something I'll get to in my overall. They, they clearly did a change in filming. Because mm. so, he goes from being wearing purple on set to wearing red 
on film. And so it's like he was lying there for so long that his suit got a sunburn. <laughs> oh, <fuck's sake. laughs> um, but yeah, those are my yeah. thoughts on Bruce. He's an interesting character, but I, I'm not quite sure where I land with him. Do you know? Because he's both incredibly mm. intelligent and incredibly fucking big stupid all at the same time. Yeah. How about you? Um, I like this version of Bruce more than the first one that we saw in The Deadly Assassin. Because he actually comes across like an old schoolmaster slash elder statesman. Mm. And I, that was the thing that I suppose, by the nature of the time, by the nature of Time Lords of their ability to regenerate, we had a much younger Barusa, who would probably realistically the actors were only a, himself and Tom were only a couple of years apart. It was kind of hard to do the whole, you know, like, oh, when you were my student thing. Mm. Here, though, I think it actually pays off a bit better. Um, and as well, I I think that the Doctor probably learned more from Barusa than he would care to admit during his time at the Academy. Yeah. Because as we as you said, like, Barusa's very astute here. Like, you know, like, there's something not quite you know, kosher about what's going on here. And we've seen that from the doctor before, where he's like, something's not quite right. But, you know, I'll play along until, you know, the, um, the twist is revealed or whatever the case may be. Um, I love as well like, that Bruce has an awful lot of forethought because it's like, okay, he wants a lead-lined room. You know, that's clearly for a reason, but lead isn't the most you know, stable of materials, you know, structurally sound materials. So I'll reinforce it with titanium. Not because he was expecting something, you know, big and booming to happen, but it's like, you know, you never know when it might come in handy. So I do like this version of Bruce a lot more than the first one that we saw. Mm. I'd agree. I'd agree. I'm just trying to think is there anything else. But like the back and forth that he, like, and again, I think it's one of my favorite, it's, as I said, it's the best part of, the doctor in this is just the back and forth between the two of them mm. because it, it it just does feel like you know the student has become the master type thing mm. i also love his line of i haven't run like this in centuries very funny <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like when's the last time he's had to run anywhere <laughs> he's had several generations of just shuffling <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like oh my fucking knees <laughs> So now we have Rodan. We do. Um, Rodan is a nice lady. I can imagine her and Leela being really good friends. Like I said, I preferred my version of the ending where Rodan gets Mm -hmm. a well-deserved promotion and is like, I kind of want a bodyguard, so Leela, you're going to stay with me. And they're like, cool. We're just going to hang out and have awesome fun times. It's going to be great. Um... Because I also get the sense that Rodan would have no problem teaching Leela without being fucking condescending about it. But the, the the big thing about her is that, like, what was with the breakdown she had when she was being quizzed by the exiled tribe? Like, she totally fucking loses her shit. Because, like, yeah, she's tired. Like, she didn't expect it to be like this or whatever, right? But she sort of breaks down as if, like, she should have had this elaborate plan for how she was going to survive. It's like, Lady, you had five fucking minutes to get out of the building. You put no foreplanning into this, and that's okay. Like, but the way she sort of breaks down, like, I don't know, I don't know. I brought these food pellets. I don't know, I don't know. I'm like, no, all you had to say was, I don't know what I'll do. I didn't have time to pack as we had to escape. 
I was planning to learn from Leela because that was your plan. Your plan was to learn from Leela how to survive. Leela mm. said she'd take care of you. Just fucking tell them that. Don't fucking break down bawling crying for no fucking reason. Like, mm. <laughs> like, don't pretend you had a plan when you didn't. And the plan was not to have a plan because there wasn't time for a plan. <laughs> I'm a fraud. <laughs> it's like, but the way she reacts is that, like she did have this amazing plan on how she would survive out and like, like she barely wanted to go like 500 meters away from the fucking citadel. Never mind, like she didn't think she was going to be surviving out there forever. So why react as if you did? <laughs> like your reaction was, dude, I'm planning to be out here. For maybe two fucking days. Like, <laughs> I didn't have a long-term strategy. Because this isn't a long-term plan. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be back in my bed tomorrow. So, like, <laughs> I, I didn't bring shelter with me and whatever. Because I'm not going to fucking need it. <laughs> um, Other than that one bit, though, that I literally was sat there going like, Lady, what the fuck just happened to you? Like, <laughs> you were all calm and composed earlier. What the hell? <laughs> Um, other than that, though, she's intelligent, she's efficient, she's exactly what you'd imagine an adult female girlfriend would be like. Mm. And I really liked her. Like or, I said, nice lady. Or, uh, I suppose, with the distinction we have in this story, an, an adult female Time Lord. Yes, true. Um, but, like, I I liked her. I, I'm guessing we're mm. not going to see her again because the actress doesn't turn up again. But mm-hmm. I liked her. And yeah, I'm going to just pretend in my own head that my ending was the ending we got. And so she became like the head of something department and Leela's her bodyguard mm. now. And that's that's my new headcanon. Yeah. Fight me. How about you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, well I learned long I learned a long time ago never to do that last thing you said, so fuck <laughs> it. You know, I I'll I'll lay off. Um I love how she's just casually doing some knitting while essentially being an air traffic controller, which I think is one of the most, apparently one of the most stressful jobs in the world. <laughs> Though granted it's like an outer space, you know, air traffic controller, but like still it's the place she's just there casually knitting. And like at one point, like cause she's behind a force field. I was like, wait, are you like the world's most like casual blase prisoner in this thing? It's like, Oh, I know it's for obviously for your protection. Um, to your point about her going outside, like you always say, like the perils of Pauline, mm. and it's like she, yeah, she did kind of lapse into that whole. Like I don't know, I hadn't planned that far ahead. Leave me alone, fuck all you. <laughs> <laughs> Stop pointing my inadequacies. Also, I swear to God, those food pellets. I was like, I want Smarties. <laughs> I, I, I'm fucking craving for Smarties now. Um, but. Like immediately after that, like it, it just felt like someone just gave her a slap and said, "Quite a silly bitch." <laughs> um, she uh, really kind of just showed what she was worth. Mm. Really, really did. Um, honestly, I she impressed me so much that I would have been okay with her going into the TARDIS at the end. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Like when again, because I do know a little bit of future shadowing right Mm -hmm. and so when we first see her and we see her interacting before she introduced herself I was like is she meant because I knew it wasn't the same actress as Romana one Mm -hmm. but I was like is she meant to be 
Romana, and then there's cast a different actress to play her, which would technically make her Romana. I I think that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have been like I think like given what's uh, coming up next, I think like yeah, she should have been Romana. Yeah. I, I, or at least the character or whatever it was, I think it should have been her, because. Like the the fact that the doctor lets her work on the TARDIS console, like or jury rigs it to, oh, what is it? Basically, hack into a defense mainframe to mm. re- remotely control it. That's sh- showing just how skilled she is. Mm. Like she's not kind of there going, well, I'm just a simple whatever. It's like, no, she's like, well, my training is in this, and there's this sort of like, well, do you think you can do it? And she, do- you know, she ends up doing it. Also, again, I just like the idea of K9 gently kind of guiding her to you know, construct this weapon of mass destruction. Uh, like, th- this story is, it has some incredibly stupid parts to it, but they're funny. And, I, and it's like, they're tra- they're trying to be, like, unlike the Sunmakers, this is trying to be serious, and it's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, the Doctor no, hypnotizes I, I, another Gallifreyan. I'm like, Naughty, naughty. That's not nice. Mm-hmm. And then telling her to take instructions from the dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a highly qualified oh, like, actually, astrophysicist. Mm. And you're having her take orders from the dog. <laughs> and, and that's that's another thing. That hypnotism thing, it went nowhere. Yeah. It really went nowhere. No one asked her for the key. And like, if... <laughs> no. And like, if the payoff was to be kind of like that, you know, well, when she was under hypnotism, she wouldn't realize what she was building. He took her out with the hypnoti- hypnotism, and she still didn't know what the fuck she had built. Yeah. So and then he told her like what that. she built. <laughs> He's like, hey, yeah, you built this. Like, it's like, what the fuck's doing that for? <laughs> yeah. What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is it? <laughs> oh God. No. Okay. Let, let's let let's move on. Okay. Andred, or man who played mm. Andred, Christopher. Why can't you look Tom mm. in the eye? There were several scenes, but one in particular that was so fucking distracting. It was when they're in the TARDIS and the doctor's explaining to Andred what's happening. And they're ta- they're just talking. They're not looking at each other. Tom is looking at his, his normal sort of, you know, the doctor kind of looking into the distance while still listening to face do you know that he gets which is is kind mm. of okay andred is very look like he's facing the camera but his eyes are looking off to the his right your left but as if he's like there's fucking someone on the set i'm going to keep fucking saying my lines but there's fucking what the fuck are they doing <laughs> like, but it goes on for like 2 minutes of the two of them standing there having a conversation, not making fucking eye contact. And not only is Andred not making eye contact, because you could argue the doctor isn't making He's not even looking at him. He's literally looking like it's as if he's like, Oh, there's the fucking tea tray. <laughs> if I read if I say my lines faster, can we get tea for I'm gonna keep it on the teacher. Get away from my fucking scone. <laughs> like that's literally what it's like. Maybe it's like the the Marlon Brando thing. Like apparently Marlon Brando had like his lines on fucking cue cards, like off camera. So like whenever you see him looking like weirdly, he's actually looking at his lines. But so maybe if that's the case, have him have his fucking cue cards 
in the direction he's meant to be fucking looking. <laughs> <laughs> they did it for Bill Hartnell. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But literally, I, 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 I was ima- as I was watching the scene, I was just imagining so many like internal monologues in my head. You know, it's like some random guy is like suddenly I was like, oh my god, the head of the BBC is here, or oh no. The tea lady is running out of scones. Hurry up and get to the fucking end of the scene because I want the scone. <laughs> or, do you know what? Tom's really fucking tall. He's a bit fucking pretentious. If he's not going to look at me, well, fuck him. I won't look at him either. <laughs> I had all these things going through my head. It was the most distracting scene, I think, in the history of Doctor Who. I don't know what it was about. It was so fucking weird. However, right, other than the random ramblings of Christopher that I had on my head. In fairness to him, he's a good guy. Do you know, he knows his duty to Gallifrey and he does not care who it pits him against. He will do what he believes is right Mm. and he will do his duty. Mm -hmm. He he doesn't care. Like, he is the pinnacle of, like, a Faramir type. Do you know what I mean? Or Mm. whatever. He, He will do... His duty, he'll follow orders, but like eventually there will come a time where he's like, no, I have to stand my ground. He knows he'll be fired. He knows he could be killed. He knows he could be arrested. It doesn't matter. I have to do my duty. What I will say, though, is that in the Santaran part of the story, your man was fucking useless because hmm. he was willing to do everything. But all he did was run around after the, the other ones. It's like, did he? Did, did uh, he throw- you're forgetting. He He threw a deck. He threw a deck chair. <laughs> he did throw a deck chair. That's true. That's about it, though. Mm-hmm. I did fuck all, but mm-hmm. yeah. He got oh, shot in the oh, arm. And, oh, to be, give me, mm-hmm. Go on. I was going. No, I was going to say like you know, like he did get shot in the arm, and he did like, but he didn't cry out in pain. He stifled it. Um. So he had that going for him. Hmm. What else did he do in the second half of the story? Oh, no, uh, absolutely nothing. But like that deck chair, like that was a sweet throw, even though it did nothing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for him, uh, and we're getting, these Santarans are quite agile. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> well, when they can fucking see where they're going. Yeah, that's true. Um, because that, 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 guy, that guy nearly didn't stick the landing. That no. guy nearly went for a swim. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we're... To believe what's shown on screen, Leela could do worse. Mm-hmm. She could do a lot fucking better. And she oh, could hugely. also become like Gallifrey's most amazing power couple with Rodan, which I'm going to just continue to ship for forever. Mm-hmm. But she could do worse. Hmm. Well, like, you raised some points there about like, his loyalty and like him not caring about, you know, consequences be damned. Uh, I completely agree with you. Is he the Gallifreyan version of Benton? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, invasion of the Dinosaurs Benton, maybe. You know? hmm. Yeah, I could see that. In which case, if if in which case of like if Lila were like if it was a story where Lila ended up with Benton, I think I'm I'm pretty okay with that as well. Like, like oh, that would be brilliant. <laughs> that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It'd be Lila going. That would be a perfect. Be Lila like, what does that mean? I don't know. Let's go look it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you can you, you, you if. In, in an alternate reality, you can ship Benton and uh, Leela. I can do, yeah. Or in this reality, you ship Rodan and Leela. Yeah. Because that works too. Yeah. Like, she that held... Works fine, those two fine. held hands a lot more. 
just saying. <laughs> so we, I ha- yeah, I had Kellner in the villain, and you have him as the last of the prominent characters. Yeah, I, I mentioned Faramir a while ago for Andred. Kellner is like mm-hmm. Grima, <laughs> you know. It's like he's sort of. Mm. You look at him and you're like, "Well, you're a fucking conniving piece of shit, aren't you?" <laughs> no offense to your man, like, but you look at him and you're like, "No, I don't fucking trust you," and not in a cool, you know, Christopher Lee kind of way, but in a sort of, "What the fuck have you been doing?" kind of way. Um, or e- e- even in the actor that plays Gr- uh, yeah. Grima, Brad Duroff, like you know, <laughs> like so even when he plays the good guy, I'm like. I don't fully trust you yet. Yeah. Um, but there is something about the actor <laughs> that just screams, mm. I am going to go to the other side because I need to follow those stronger than me while trying to pretend I am powerful myself. And I think it's that last part, the while trying to pretend I am powerful myself, that had me put him in prominent character tending towards villain rather than an out and out villain because he clearly wants power that's a given but he's such a sniveling fucking worm you can't imagine him actually keeping it and the way he goes about getting power for himself is to attach himself to the strongest person in the room that was the doctor as the president who was coming in and upsetting the apple cart he's like okay i'll i'll kiss his ass and that will get me more power. It was the Vardens who he was like, oh, we know that doctor fella. Like, I don't think he's doing what you... I'd be better. I'd be a better choice. And then it was the Suntarans. The funniest bit that made me, like, literally laugh out loud and nearly wet myself is how many times did Store knock him to the ground? <laughs> like, in the exact same fucking way. It happened, like, three times. Then he said something and Storm just knocked him aside and he fell into the pedestal. And then he said something else and Storm knocked him aside and he fell into the pedestal. And then he said something else and Storm knocked him aside and he fell into the pedestal. And I'm just like, Jesus, dude. <laughs> like, defend oh. yourself, fucker. And like, we, 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 we talk about them using the same location, like the same fucking set or, or location shooting. Mm-hmm. This is just like, you could have just played the same fucking clip over and over again. Yeah, um, so I think for me what differentiates him between being an out-and-out villain and being a villain by opportunity, I suppose. He's not a villain by circumstance because these are all fucking choices he's making. Do you know what I mean? He's a villain by opportunity. Is if the Doctor hadn't have come back, he wouldn't have been making a power play because there wasn't Mm. anyone in a position of power he could latch on to. You know, he had no plan that the doctor happened to walk in on. His thing was mm-hmm. just to be the head of his own little fiefdom in security. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Like that that was literally like I imagine the most villainous thing he had done that we see on screen is install fucking cameras everywhere and keep lists of people who he thinks are, you know, bad apples. But like that's just being like a stick up your ass fucking security guard with delusions of grandeur he doesn't go into actively working against the heroes because bear in mind at the beginning he thinks he's doing what the president wants <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't cotton on to the duplicity like Barossa does 
So he thinks he's doing what the president wants. He thinks he's sucking up. So like that for me is what sort of makes him different. Do you know? And it takes constant jibing at him and yelling at him and screaming at him for him to do what Storm wants him to do. Do you know? Like he's wormy and sniveling and he's like oh no there's no way of doing it oh well now that you keep threatening to kill me again maybe i can try this no no it won't work it won't work whatever like do you know what i mean and even like when the doctor returns from having taken out store your man's hiding behind a desk <laughs> mm. like you know like I said, he's a villain by opportunity rather than a villain by you know by situation or, or villain by circumstance what we've said before or a villain, you know, in the same way that the Vardens or Store would be. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's my read on him anyway. How about you? I'd agree to like with most of what you said like to an extent. Uh, but I think the, the most important question is what you di- what did he do to Spandrel, the little fucking weasel? Mm. Because Spandrel was the previous uh, Castellan from uh, Deadly Assassin and he was awesome. Mm. So what did he do to him, you fucking prick? Um <laughs> So I agree with the latter half of like your assessment of the character, like about how it's like he says he can't do something until Store threatens to fucking kill him or kick him up the hole or just throw him into another pedestal again. Um, but like, if you remember, prior to the Doctor, prior to the Vardens arriving, mm. like Andred said that Varden or uh, Andred said that Kellner, when the Doctor had been attacked, uh he true like he created a curfew and Andrew said that he uh, threw anyone that he had a, had a grudge with or had beef with into jail so it wasn't necessarily thinking like that they're bad apples he was just using that to settle scores because he would have tried to implicate implicate them in whatever way he wanted to and then as well remember like he appointed essentially an assassin to be the doctor's bodyguard because once once he had figured out what the doctor's plan was going to be, or once he had figured out what was going to happen, he was essentially going to have the doctor killed so that he would assume the role of presidency. Mm. So that's why I put him as a villain, because even though, yes, he does end up being a lackey, he does start out with assessing the situation that, like, yeah, no, it is villain by opportunity, but I think what he does actually does make him a villain, as opposed to prominent character that kind of sh- straddles the line. Mm. I can see that. I can see it when you say it that way. I think it's like the curfew thing I sort of forgot about because it was really, really badly written and didn't make sense. Yeah. Um, and the, again, with the time frame, those two things don't make sense. I, I but think it's Which is why I, I sort of forgot about them. But yeah, they're, they're true. In the context of the story, though, you're, you're, you are correct in, in the way that he yeah. behaved was deplorable. Yeah, because like, and to be fair as well, like, is he throws people into jail and then he presents a list to the doctor of people to throw into jail. And it's like, so, like, did you only get the chance to throw so many of them into jail? Or are you, like, is it just that you, f- the writers forgot that he had thrown people into jail already? I imagined it would be a thing of, he threw people into jail, presented the doctor with the list. The doctor's like, okay, get round these people up. Oh, your excellency, like, I anticipate that that's what you would want. And I've done it already. Hmm. Yeah, that's like, the way they, he played. Like, that, you know? Yeah, that that probably is the way he played. Yeah, um, but yeah. So, no, like I again, I think the latter half, yeah, would throw him into the prominent character section. But I think the first half, 
when he's acting on his own merits until such a time as the var like so for the first two episodes specifically i suppose mm. i think he's kind of like he is a good foot into the villain camp mm. but then he just becomes like a tertiary a tertiary antagonist which has a name that i can't remember the specific name for but um yeah he just becomes the tertiary antagonist behind our actual villains mm. So should we talk about the actual villains of the piece? Mm-hmm. So we have the Vardens and the Santarans. Mm. Obviously the Santarans are the overall masterminds, which is a, seems like a fucking oxymoron. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so let's do the Vardens first, right? So mm-hmm. I think the Vardens, as the villain, worked absolutely fine on their own. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I agree. You could have stopped at part four, and it would have been fine. <laughs> mm. They were interesting. You are genuinely afraid of them because, like, the fact that the doc, like, they can read the doctor's mind, and like, they can read the mind of any time lord so easily. Do you know what I mean? I think the last person we saw that could really do that with the doctor was Sutek. Mm-hmm. Do you know, and Sutek was terrifying for that very reason. Do you know? Um, so like on their own, they were quite scary. And also because like the main guy is so soft spoken that you expect this big booming voice out of this shimmery thing. Because this you know, it's this idea of other and whatever, but like like they're just three lads. <laughs> Which, until you realise that they're literally just three guys, mm. is creepily off-putting. Yeah. Do you know? It's like, you know, in you know, like from a sort of a, an Irish mythology, it's like the idea of like fairy song. Do you know? Mm. It sounds so light and light-hearted, but it really isn't, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's there's something chilling about yes. it. Do you know? Or like, if you think about like, you know. Anytime you hear like, you know, children singing set to sort of like a horror movie type thing, do you know? The, the Victorian children's nursery yeah. rhymes. Do you know? Um, or even like, you know, the thing from Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Do you know the one two Freddy's coming for you thing? And that's the way I sort of saw them at the start. And I was like, okay, that and like in fairness, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. It was terribly fucking written. But it was interesting, to say the least. Um, but then they're revealed. And you're like, okay, it's three random lads. Cool. I'm now curious because they look human. People say they're human. Mm-hmm. So, like, what, how do they become floaty, glowy traveler things? Like, what, what's that about? Um, yeah. Like, I wanted to know more about them. But we don't, like, they get revealed, then their displacement or whatever the fuck gets shut down when they reactivate the shield we find out about their home planet we never fucking go there like this is the invasion of time i had expected Mm -hmm. the tardis to go back in time to stop them from getting to the point where they could do what they were going to do that's Mm -hmm. where i thought that storyline was going clearly those different storylines going on in trisha's head that was actually (laughs) happening on screen um but yeah, like they were built up. I actually thought they were quite interesting. And then in the end, there was a sort of like, whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of interesting build up for no payoff, in my opinion. Yeah. How about you? 
Uh, you've been reading my notes again. <laughs> um, no, I think they're a really interesting idea for a villain because, like, telepathic and can also travel along any broadcast frequency. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's nightmare fuel, like, because yeah. and imagine them as an empire. And like, like this is the things that we don't know if they are an empire. We don't know if they're like this conquering force or they're just like one planet that have realized, oh fuck, we're powerful. Or they're just um, the three lads. Yeah, um, so it's like we're not given the full scope of just what they are. But imagine if they were an empire. That's a fucking, that's a rule that would be very hard to overthrow if you think about it. Mm. Because they can appear anywhere. They can literally fucking uh, read the minds of anything. And so like if they ever, if they're monitoring all their subjects and then they mysteriously go off grid for a period of time, they're instantly targets, mm. you know? So, and like, I I don't, again, like, I don't know how I feel about the tangible form because the mystery component, like the shimmering, crackling energy forms, I thought that was really cool. Having them just be humans, mm, I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. It only works if you can explain it, I think. Yeah. Like, what really did they does. do to become mm. sparkly glowy? Like, yeah. Like the day, like open their inner eye and like just all become, you know, fucking Doctor Strange or something. I don't know, um, but I definitely agree that they should have been the main villains of the whole story. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Again, I think this is a, this is a, a flaw we've seen. Thankfully, not a huge amount of times, but enough that it's a noticeable flaw. Great concepts for villains, bad execution. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I would agree. Or like, not even bad execution, but missed opportunity. Yeah, like I would say it was an incomplete execution. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so now on to one of our old favorites, mm. the Santarans. Yes, I think the Santarans. I think you and I have just talked about this before because the Santarans have obviously come up in Jodie Whittaker's run on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a thing for this. I like classic Santarans. Um. Mm-hmm. And this is the first classic Suntaran story, or the first new classic Suntaran story that I've seen, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, overall, I liked the Suntarans here. I thought the costume was done well. I thought the acting was done well. A um, couple of issues with, like, the helmet and, like, not always lining up with the guy's nose so that one of his eyes mm-hmm. isn't lined up correctly. But to be honest, like, that... That happens with a, with a costume like that. So overall, I kind of was like, cool. And then at one point, Store in particular, who's like the, the lead Suntaran in this. Yeah. He starts off strong. But then he starts getting really desperate. Like, mm. he starts off, like, the way he is with Kellner, he's just kind of a whiny bitch. Like, do you know, mm. like, there's none of the calm, cool collectedness that we saw with Lynx and Steyr, do you know? Um, he's much more like, I'll fucking kill you, fucking do it, I'll fuck it. what do you mean there's not a way? There has to be a way or I'll kill you. It's like, whereas the other two would have been like, okay, explain to me why you don't think there's a way. Okay, you're going to find a way because I don't fucking believe you. Do you mm. know? And he sort of was missing, the. he had it at the start and then he, he started losing it really quickly <laughs> as the story p- 
progressed. Um, I will say it was interesting seeing more than one Centauran at a time <laughs> mm-hmm. in Classic Who. We've only ever seen one on his own um, yeah. up until now. Um, some of them quite agile, like hopping over the edge of the pool. Or you mm. to then fall up a step and nearly go crashing back into it, but that's not the point. Um, <laughs> um, like the other Santarans don't have names and they don't get a look in, but I think yeah. I think overall they were executed well as a collective group. Um, like I said, I think Store in particular, his personality kind of went off a bit of a deep end towards the end. Like, which in fairness, he's like, "Yeah, I've unlocked the box. It's another fucking box, right?" Okay, I've unlocked this box. It's a fucking puzzle, and the box goes, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can understand why he lost it. Do you know what I mean? But like again, Santarans we've seen before wouldn't have to the same extent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do I think the Santarans were necessary in this story? No. Do I think they form a more imposing evil than the Vardens did? No. Th- they have strength in numbers, which is the only thing. Um, do I fully understand how it ended with them? No, I do not. Store got removed from time, or whatever, and the incoming fleet just left. Yeah. Like, in the previous stories, so Lynx was on his own, such an account. Mm-hmm. Steyer, we had the doctor basically saying, like, you know, your analysis wasn't... Com- like, he spoke to the commander. Do you know? Mm-hmm. You can't come here. Like, we're stronger than you think. Look at the data. The fact that we killed Steyer, blah, blah, blah. And so, like, he, he made a case. Here, it's just like, oh, yeah, the store's gone. I don't remember why. But he is. Yeah. Cool. It's like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> it's like... It's like, like, it just ended. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, was there meant to be a scene that explained that a bit more, but you cut it for Leela's leaving scene? Like, what? Um, so again, I think as a collective, I think it was a good execution. Store was a bit more whiny than Santarans we've seen in the past, but they weren't necessary, and their ending was a bit shit. How about you? I don't like them here at all. I I, I really don't. I and that's. Surprise! Yeah, I know it's surprising because mm-hmm. I love the Santarans, but I think what made the Santarans—I won't say a hundred percent, but a very large part of it—is that I really miss Kevin Lindsay here. Yes, he is sorely, sorely missed as a Santaran here. Yeah, Tom the Barman is not Kevin Lindsay. No, there's no menace from them. Links. And Steyer, and even like we just saw him on a view screen, but like the the field marshal, mm. they ooze menace. Like they, there's just it comes off them in the sense of they're terrifying. And just that, that's just a singular entity. They're terrifying. I don't want to mess with one of them. I don't get that vibe here from any of them. Like the way I would compare it is. Um, if you think about the Planet of the Apes franchise, okay, mm. the the original ones now, okay, mm. remember the gorillas in at least yeah, the, definitely the first two films, Planet of the Apes and Beneath the Planet of the Apes, mm. they're like this, they're this imposing military might, but then if you go to the very last one, the Battle for the Planet of the Apes, it it's just missing. They're just they're meatheads essentially, mm. and that's what this version of the Santarans is to me. It's the Battle for the Planet of the Apes version. 
they're they're completely lacking the menace that's there and store as you said like he doesn't have that level of self-control or self-assuredness that links or steer had and they were by themselves in their in their endeavors and like no maybe it might be like the severity of the mission but again if you think about it a later Santaran story which we've just seen that commander keeps his cool and that commander like has the Kevin Lindsay oozing menace you know mm. they just don't work for me here even as a collective grouping mm. I think for me it was more I think it was I was excited to see them as a group mm. do you know um, yeah. and I agree with you like I think it was because as soon as the Santarans were mentioned, which FYI was on the DVD box when I opened yeah. it. Um, so, spoiler. Um, <laughs> well, we even said it last week. Yeah. The Santarans are coming back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I knew it wouldn't be like Kevin. And mm. so I went into it fully intended, intending to not compare them to Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that was why for me, I think like as an advanced unit that were meant to be doing mop up, I thought they worked Mm. as a scientific force that's going to analyze and break down the enemy. No, but that wasn't their purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way I sort of rationalized it in my head, again, part of it was just like, like, hey, there's like more than one Um, Mm. is the situation they walked into is not the situation they had planned for. Mm. The doctor wasn't meant to have defeated anybody. Do you know, they were meant to walk into basically, you know, um, a defeated society and just do mop up. And instead they're having to fucking do all this fucking shit that they hadn't planned on doing. And the doctor, the enemy who was meant to be on their side is now actively working against them. So I think that was probably why I didn't do the comparison to Kevin too much, but I do agree with you. Like there isn't the calm, cool collectedness, but Mm. like I said, like in universe, I can kind of explain that away by like you're calm and cool and collected until you land. And you're like, this is an absolute fucking shit show. What the fuck? Mm. (laughs) This was not what I was expecting at all and this isn't working and the guy that was meant to be handy as everything is now working against us and all i have is fucking kellner who's just a whiny bitch (laughs) um but no i i i see where you're coming from though yeah and like i obviously i know like that like there's a there's an element of like you can't like we can't constantly compare everyone to kevin Mm. because we're going to see the santarans a lot more we're going to see different versions of them and some of them do bring a, an absolute amazing performance to the role. Mm. But here, I think it's because we've only seen them as individuals before, played by, the, by someone that someone that really knew the character, and also as well written by someone that knew how to write them. Mm. Um, so I would have been very curious, I'd, I'd be very curious to see how Bob would have written these two episodes. Robert Holmes would have written these two episodes. Yeah, I would agree. But this is they were Bob's idea to yeah, bring into exactly. the story. Yeah. And like maybe his his scripting for them, it, it actually might have brought that menace back into them. I, 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 you can never know for sure in these cases. Mm. 
but I just think that that element was missing, specifically restore, because as the mouthpiece, you kind of want to feel it, you know? Mm. Yeah. No, I can see that. I can see that. So we've reached the end of the podcast. And as always, we are going to give our final thoughts and give it each a score out of five. Mm -hmm. So Trish, over to you. What is your score going to be? Okay. So I said to Paddy off air between segments, because Paddy was like, oh, I'm really curious to see what your score is going to be. Um, At the start of this recording, I didn't have a score. I had a number in my head, but I had absolutely zero justification for that number. And so I said, do I was going to depend on the discussion? I still haven't finalized my score, so I'm going to go through my thoughts and then hopefully I'll have a number when I get to the end. What was the starting number out of curiosity? The starting number was three. Okay. Middle of the road, three. Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, I do want to call out a production value thing that, again... Like I've said that like I don't really we don't dock points for production. But I have to call it out when it fucking is distracting as shit. So mm. the first four episodes, or at least the first three and a half episodes of this, uh, were mostly shot um on video. So in the studio. Um, even though like there was some bits that were clearly on film, but there were very mm-hmm. few of them. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, the power unit thing where the doctor and canine blow shit up and rewire things or whatever and that looked good we came to that exact same unit in episode four or five and they filmed it on film and it looked shit the like the film the filming on film looked really bad the color grading mm. was all wrong like like i said barusa looked like he was wearing red even though his robes are purple Mm -hmm. like did they not have his robes when they went out to do the location filming um kellner's headpiece wasn't on right it didn't feel as like i don't know there was something about it it just didn't feel it didn't have the same energy it was like it was too open too bright too clear and i'm like no like what the fuck happened like literally between the beginning of an episode and the end of an episode it completely fucking changed and like I said I don't I didn't dock points for it because we don't dock points for that but I wanted to call it it was really jarring for me mm. I don't know if you had the same issue um not so much with so when they switch between video and film I it's it's clearly noticeable mm. but I, I don't really pay too much like a kind of attention to distortion in that, mm. you know, in terms of production, there are things for production though, that I did duck points for because it really just, it did affect my watching of this. Yeah. So that was just one thing. Like I didn't really dock points for it, but just like, because you had the same location in like, say episodes one and two versus episodes five and six that looked shit in five and six, but looked quite good in one and two. Do you know what I mean? Like the same fucking location, but looks shit at the end of it. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so let's go on to the main conversation. Though. For me, this is really a story in two parts. I didn't like the ending of either of them. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, we have 
the Vardens, right? And I go back to Weisinger. What the fuck was the plan? Like, isn't the doc- I get what the Vardens' plan was. Put someone in a position of power on Gallifrey. Have them lower the shield. Take over. Great. Simple plan on their part. They're super psychics. They can make people do whatever the they want because you can't hide your thoughts from them. Fine. From their perspective, I get the plan. Right? I get it. What the fuck was the doctor's plan? Because clearly he left the TARDIS pre-episode with this plan already in mind. Mm. We don't know how he came in contact with the Vardens. Like, were they on their home planet? Were they on a ship? We don't know anything except he and K9 had a plan before the episode ever started. And we don't know what that was. <laughs> we don't know what it was. We don't know why it was. We don't know why Leela isn't aware of what, who the Vardens are. It's like, we know nothing. So I don't get what, like, what was the plan to get them to Gallifrey, to get them to unveil themselves in their true form, to identify their planet, to then lock them. It's such a fucking convoluted fucking plan. And like I said, at the end of it, I don't know if they even did lock them in time because no one fucking mentions them after the fucking Centaurans turn up. There isn't even a throwaway line at the end of episode six being like, oh, well, you know, the Vardens and the Centaurans. Good job, Doctor. Two enemies defeated in one day. Go, like, there's no mention of them ever again. What the fuck was the point? <laughs> and then we have... It's, it is just fucking frustrating. Yeah, and then we have the second storyline, which is the Santaran storyline. Santarans and Gallifrey. Fucking interesting, dude. Like, interesting storyline. But again, what the fuck was the plan? Do you know? The Santarans wanted the key to presumably give themselves time travel abilities. Who fucking knows? The Doctor builds a disintegration gun with mind-wiping powers and there's no other response to the Santaran threat. Like, what the fuck was that? I don't, I don't, well, yeah, oh no, I was going to say, I don't necessarily know if it's got the, the, the mind-wiping powers, but then it's like, no wait, the, uh, Bruce goes, well, maybe it might have been the will of Rassilon, and it's like, oh yeah, that's probably a fucking fail-safe safety measure bullshit. Yeah, but like, it's just a disintegrator gun. We've seen them before. There was one in Robot. Like, mm. we don't learn mm-hmm. what's so special about this fucking gun. So there's that. And then we have the overall ending of both parts, which is Leela. And what the ever-living shit was that? <laughs> so, <laughs> I presented my two preferences for what I would have liked to have seen happen. To be honest, I would have, I would, I would have been upset. But had she gone out in a blaze of glory, could have gotten behind that too. Would have been upsetting. Could have gotten behind that too. Or had she been severely I th- I wounded think and if she... they made her stay on Gallifrey to heal or something like that. I could have gotten behind that. But like, Leela left to marry someone. Are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> no, I, I think uh, to your point there, like, that if she had gone into a blazing girl, you'd be upset. But it would be, like, it would be an earned upset, you know? Mm. Yeah, like we've seen, we've seen time and again that she risk, she risks life and limb for the doctor, and this is that one time where, like you know, she you know the dice come up snake eyes for her, you know. So yeah, and like compared I'm to some of like the think of like I I sorry go on. I was gonna say like this could have been like a Sarah Kingdom level of mm. death. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I don't know why they didn't honor her with that. Do you know, um, 
were there things I liked in the story? Sure. You know, it was interesting seeing more than one Suntaran. Personally, I like the Suntarans. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed seeing that. Do you know that there was more than one of them? Seeing the inside of the TARDIS was cool. Do I think they could have done more to make the TARDIS feel like a single unit and not as a random collection of filming locations? Yes. And particularly the same set of stairs over and over and over and over again. Or sometimes it is definitely the same set of stairs and sometimes you don't know if it's meant to be a different set of stairs or like whatever. (sighs) Ultimately, I just didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And like I gave it, like when I finished off last night, I didn't have any score in my head because I was just pissed off as I went to bed. And then today in work, I was kind of like, okay, what score will I give it? And I was like, eh, give it a three. Do you know? Eh, whatever. But the more we've talked about it, <laughs> Bob, why didn't you just fucking write the episode? Like, mm. I don't know anything about Anthony Reed and Graham Williams doesn't have any writing credits at all do you know um, I'm not looking forward to the horns of Nimon I'll tell you that much like the writing in this story was fucking shocking the pacing was off there were so many things that were set up that had no follow through the characterizations were bad the, the sense of time scale was all over the fucking place it was just badly fucking written <laughs> Mm. do you know and like not in a bob and dave badly written word like i'm convinced those two were just fucking high all the time this was just bad like they like i am concerned that like anthony reed is our incumbent script editor and this was their big budget season finale yeah like they took money from underworld to make this even better and i'm like you didn't have fucking bothered because, like, you fucking shat the bed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, un- un- Underworld looks better than this. That's pushing it slightly because this is so, but, like, <laughs> the intention in Underworld was better than this. I'll put that way. Yeah, yeah, okay. Fair enough. That's CSO. So, as I've been talking, I went, okay, it's not mm. a three. Is it a 2.5? We'll go with 2.5. And then I started my overall on the cool. I think I'm on a two. I'm on a one point five. Which is fucking shit. I'm never watching this again, ever. Um, they ruined Leela's departure. They introduced the Sontarans in a story not dedicated to them, which is like the mm. Sontarans deserve stories dedicated to them. It's just bad writing, poor characterization, badly planned, weird random production shit that I didn't dock points for, but. At this point, it doesn't really matter if I did. Um, yeah, it's a 1.5, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting to give the season finale of of this season. But then again, this season, for me at least, hasn't exactly been amazing. Stellar. Like, mm. I also gave Underworld a 1.5. And yeah, you know, this is only better because the Sun Tyrants are in it. Mm. That's it, really. Um, so yeah, that's my wandering, rambling thoughts. Um, how about you? It's been all over the place, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> um, it didn't need two groups of villains. No. Because the Sontarans literally just feel slapped on at the end. Mm. Uh, I like there's no... We've talked before about powerful races utilizing 
like pawns. Like we talked before about like, you know, the Daleks uh tricking whoever the fuck they were, I can't remember, into being essentially their human shield mm. and then they came in to mop up, mop stuff up. We've talked we've talked about that before. Mm. And I can see the Santarans utilizing that in a sort of like um Oh, we've entered a non-aggression agreement with the Vardans and we'll let them be our frontline troops. And then once they, like, you know, bleed in the trenches, we'll step in and wipe out both groups and reap all the benefits. That that does feel like a good Santaran military strategy. Mm. Um, but it doesn't feel justified here. Like, it, it, lit- it literally just said, ah, they were birdie pawns. It's like, okay, cool. What was the What was the game plan? Like, how did you trick them into thinking that they were the actual the big bads of this um i was very taken out of things by two production choices mm. i didn't feel like i didn't like the interiors of the tardis because i didn't feel like that they were actually connected mm. in my head the tardis should be like bosco's room and uh, for those people that aren't aware, Bosco was a wonderful Irish little puppet, and they had this thing called the the, the magic door. Like obviously, when they'd open the magic door, it would lead to inevitably two things: Dublin a Zoo. wildlife park, Dublin Zoo, or a factory of some description. Uh, but I feel like that's what the TARDIS should be. It just should be like this stream of corridors, and every time you open a door, the door leads into a bigger thing. Because that's what we got with the boot cupboard in Mandragora. Yeah. And With his the boots just spare the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it should be. It should be like this. As you said, like, it should feel connected. Mm. So, like, yeah, like the long corridors with doors on either side, and then you open those doors, and the door then leads into, ah, oh, here's the new set. It's the bigger room, or whatever it is. Like, there's literally hallways here that look like, you know, London underground stations. Like, there's like gas pipes and everything running along the head of it mm. that doesn't feel like it's this like refined level of Gallifreyan technology mm. that we've been so talked about i think the only room uh, that worked for me was the bathroom yeah yeah it was extravagant it, that, it was over the top it worked yeah the rest of it was but, the basement of the bbc yeah exactly um also, I know that we joke about the Suntarns looking like a potato, mm. but Storr's costume is terrible. He actually looks like a Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> it, it really, really, like I know like that they can't keep the props from previous things because they age, they tear, they warp. That, that was fitted specifically for Kevin, but this was just... I think I would rather have them taking budget on the filming location thing and put it into like a proper molding of this of this particular of Derek's face for this thing mm. because it just doesn't feel connected the same way that Kevin's makeup did. Um, I didn't like the ending because I didn't I I I thought the parting was it was poorly done. Like we've seen the Doctor care so much about his companions departing, mm. like. No matter what, like even Harry, he was kind of like, you know he pulled like the very kind of sad, surprised mm. face, and like he still kind of gave him a cheerio type thing. But here, why couldn't you say goodbye? Like even if he held her hands and said, "I'll miss you too, Savage," th- that would have been fine mm. because at least he's acknowledging her, and they can have their little joke, mm. you know. And then have him run into the thing and then toddle off on his merry way or whatever it just it's a 
it's a poor ending. Or even like if you don't want him to say goodbye, like if you're going to go with the David Tennant route of like he doesn't like saying goodbye, right? Mm-hmm. Have him say to Andred, you know, be careful of the Janus thorns. You, yeah. Or something <laughs> sweet. So, something, yeah, it's like something that isn't, I don't know. Like, like you can argue, like you could argue like that it's, oh yeah, no, no, he's just too emotional. He's too taken by surprise. And it's like, if it doesn't feel that way. Like it, it, it legitimately feels like we've we've seen a really good relationship written by the between these two characters, mm. like for for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, we've seen a good relationship between the two of them. I feel like that relationship warrants a better goodbye. Mm. Um, things I did like in this story, though, is I did like Barusa. I thought he was. I thought it was a good version of the character. I liked Leela. Mm-hmm. Leela on her own agency was great because she showed how awesome she is and she showed why she's a, like a fantastic character. And we talked before about like how she could be really seen as like that stereotypical get older, like get men into the show because she's scantily clad or whatever the case is. That's the least defining thing about her. Like her, her overt appearance for sex, for, you know, sexual interest it's the least interesting thing about her she's a great character and she deserves something better and her ending yeah but her performance throughout the show throughout the story was great and i loved k9 k9 was the hero of this story it doesn't save it though for me and i've rocked out with a 1.5 as well this is this is unfortunate this is the biggest drop we've ever seen in a season Mm. Because this season started with Horror Fang Rock, mm. which I gave a 5 and you gave a 4.5. So to go from that down to a 1.5 for the season, this is now our lowest ranked season of the entire show, on average. Oof. That's, that's poor, do you know? Like, and we've had season three. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. This is lower like, than season three. Wow! And like season three for for people, yeah. Like we averaged it out at two point seven five. Yeah, but season three only had one. Only had we ha- we had one story a piece. No, we had two stories a piece. Like, granted, season three had more stories. It had uh, ten stories. Mm-hmm. But we had two stories a piece that ranked above a three. Right. <laughs> Everything else was three or lower, and like a lot of them were like 2.75 or lower and this one this season because it really only had horror fang rock to really hang its hat on hmm. Sunmakers, eh, kind of yeah but really only horror fang rock which was such an amazing opener fucking brilliant opener and this is how it ends and the annoying thing is that like for me and i don't know how you feel about this but for me you know we weren't shy about the fact that like Sarah Jane is my favorite character and you know mm. we gave a lot of her stories fives because they were really well written um and you know we, we were kind of concerned like now that the Sarah Jane time is over so like you know Ian and Barbara are gone Liz Shaw's gone Sarah Jane's gone who are like my big companions that I connected with you know how would I feel about the rest of it but like Leela deserved so much better. <laughs> like, 
she really really did because I do really like her but like all I can say is poor fucking Louise like <laughs> yeah and like one thing I think is I think it's an important thing to think about is that while you may not like the stories mm. you like the characters yeah and I think that I think that's something that I I I'm hoping to see you know mm. like like you like Louise was the, like you know the first one after the deepest loss mm. you know and you like you said you put her above Jamie you said you put her up with that Ian and Barbara demographic like mm. which I think is amazing yeah like at the moment right. And we can yeah. talk about this more when we're talking about strength and weaknesses. But at the moment, my top five are Sarah Jane, mm-hmm. Barbara, mm-hmm. Ian. Mm-hmm. And then I would actually flip-flop between Liz and Leela. Either one of them could take the four or five spot. It would depend on what episode I'm watching. Nice. Like That is my, of the companions we've had so far, mm-hmm. that is currently my top five. That's that's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. Yeah, and I just I just want to run an average there for a second because I'm curious. Um, so give me a second here. I need to do some functions here in the old googlies. So uh, we're doing the average of yeah, like my current average for Leela stories across the board is a two point nine four. Which sounds so fucking wrong. Uh. Yours, just for the sake of comparison, is a 3.14. Which is better. But like... I think I have a lot more kind of fours than yeah. you do. Um, yeah. And Tang's a bunch Also Tang's a Yeah. But like... You know, again, we'll get into it when we do our rambling, but like, I feel bad for her that like mm. that was what she got, and you know it's kind of similar to you know what we were talking about with Bill Hartnell. You know, even though you're like, like, oh, the first Doctor, you know, he was crotchety or whatever. Like, it's, you know, people don't like the original, like the the, the true, true mm. classic nature of it and the production value, whatever. Bill's still my favorite Doctor, do you know. Um, so, I'm. Ooh. Yeah, no, I, I, I was going to hold that in reserve, <laughs> um, but no, yeah. I'm sorry, Tom. But like, I don't know what Liz leaving did to Tom, but like, his doctor has been such an asshole for the last like, you know, ten stories or whatever. Mm. I'm like, I'm starting to think I only liked him with Sarah Jane. All right. Okay, that's really interesting. A bit of a bombshell is... there at the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jesus. Um, no, like that. That is that is very interesting. Um, I think that was one of the things that we were both like curious about as we started this. Mm. Um, but we do we do have some more stuff to get through before I suppose we can finalize uh, that side of things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, coming up. Uh, our rambling edition for Leela will actually be on a, on a Monday. It won't be on its usual midweek slot. Um, and the other thing is that for the next season, we're actually doing something very interesting. Mm. In the set, so the following season is actually going to be one long continuous narrative, 
which is the first time that that's been done ever. Now I know that we like um, in the Hartnell era, everything kind of bled together. Mm. And but this you, is you the could thing argue that like season um, twelve. Yes, you you could also actually argue season twelve, but this is the first time where each story is part of the greater whole. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, next week, or sorry, in uh, two weeks' time, we'll be starting that season off with the Rybos operation. Ooh. Until then, though, we shall talk more about Leela on Monday. Mm-hmm. And you get to hear more of our thoughts. To be honest, I think we've kind of given away a lot of our thoughts on that already. Yeah. But you'll get to hear our best and worst. So. Yes, absolutely. The ranking, the, the, the best will be a tough ranking, I think. Oh, I agree. I hundred percent agree. Cool. Until then, though. Until then, Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.